Hey, have you ever been so skilled you made a bad thing good? Have you ever let the fear of what lies in the dark envelop your very being, allowing you to tap into an endless abyss of unknown magics as the Breaking Benjamin album blares in your headphones? Well, congratulations! You might be a Gloomstalker. But what is a Gloomstalker? Well, pack plenty of good berries and try not to get lost, cause we're headed to the deepest part of the woods. When most people think of rangers, I imagine they think... What the fuck is this piece of shit? Which is what I thought, until I read this subclass. Hmm. This better not awaken anything in me. You see, the Gloomstalker decided to take the ranger class in a completely unheard of direction by making it, um, good. Who knew it could be that simple? In fact, it's so good it feels like a mistake. I'll explain why I have a hard time with rangers later, but in the meantime, let me gush over why the Gloomstalker completely flips the script. And it basically boils down to two words. Stealth. Archer. Sneaky snake, goes dancing, wiggling and a hissing. That's right, lads, lasses, and everything in between. Break out your Dark Brotherhood cosplay and trigger your PTSD from the Great Mud Crab Wars. Because this subclass is as busted and fun to play as the good old sneaky boy from the lands of Skyrim. So what, we're good, right? Best subclass, hands down? Yeah? What, you you want me to explain it? <laughs> I mean, okay, but like, look at it. Alright, well, at level 1, take the Favored Foe and Deft Explorer optional abilities. Favored Foe lets you mark a creature that you're hunting, letting you do an extra d4 of damage. Yeah, it's worse Hunter's Mark. Deft Explorer is a suite of buffs you gain as you level up, getting you Canny, which gives you expertise in a skill so you can pretend you're a rogue and you learn two languages, cause, uh, trees. Second level gets us a fighting style, go archery for the memes, or archery cause it's awesome, or oh hey archery would be cool. Or I guess you could go dueling if you're lame, or juridic warrior for... <laughs> Two druid cantrips. My top favorite three spells to use as a witch. Number one, need to protect your home. My favorite thing to do is to take a deep cleansing breath and go, you got three seconds to get the fuck up out of here and two of them already gone because I can't count shit but money. Seriously though, go for the bow. We also get spell casting at this level. Ranger spells are kind of weird. They're usually not great, but the best ones, like Hunter's Mark, help you augment your attacks in unique and cool ways. Pick up the stuff that'll buff you and your allies because your DC isn't going to be high enough to get much mileage out of. Third level gets us Primeval Awareness or Primal Awareness. I mean, it's alright! Take Primal for the extra spells though. And I guess that's it. Level 3 is a bit of a letdown. Just kidding, shitheads, because guess what? You're a war guy now! That's right, baby, you just stepped into the beautiful world of the Gloomstalker and discovered the best way to protect nature is just gunning down anybody who messes with your trees. Oh yes, son, if you ever wonder what the outcome of a fusion dance between the Punisher and the Lorax would be, I've got the tickle for your pickle! Starting with Umbral Sight. Free Dark Vision is slick, but you've learned that black trench coats and sunglasses look best when nobody can see them. And as long as you're in darkness, you're just invisible, even to those who can see through it. Yo, what? As long as you pick your fights well, you just have permanent advantage on attacks while your enemies have disadvantage. But hold on, it gets better. Because we also get Dread Ambusher. First you get to add your Wisdom mod to your initiative, which is great and all, but on the first round of combat you gain a 10 foot addition to your walking speed and a free extra attack. If that attack hits, the target takes an extra 1d8 of damage of whatever type you did. Holy shit, man! Pick up Crossbow Expert and fan the hammer on that thing for 3 attacks at level 3! That's the same as an 11th level fighter, and as long as you're hanging in the dark, all of those attacks are at advantage. What the hell are you even facing at level 3, bandits? Shit man, these poor bastards are gonna be visiting grandpa in hell before they even realize you're in the room. If that wasn't enough, we also get to grab Disguise Self, which is super fun for roleplay, but you can also use it to turn into your target's worst nightmare before you slink into the shadows and become invisible. Creeped out by
by clowns? How about a shadow clown with a gun? Does that make the back of your shorts heavy? Cause it fucking should. Fifth level gets us that precious extra attack, which cranks us up to three attacks in the first round of combat, or four if you went with our crossbow kid build, and you also get the spell rope trick, which I think is cool as hell. It only takes an action to cast and essentially makes a little treehouse at the end of a rope for you to hang out in. Your treehouse is an extra dimensional space and has a window you can see through, but is invisible to everyone else. However, even though attacks and spells cannot pass through the hole, you can lean out, shoot, and duck back in if you need to cheese a fight. Sixth level increases our favored foe damage to a d6, tying it with Hunter's Mark and Deft Explorer gives us roving. Apparently in between fights our ranger has been hitting the Stairmaster because now we can permanently add 5 feet to our walking speed and we have a climbing and swimming speed equal to that. The climbing speed is especially useful so we can get up to a vantage point before a fight and pick out targets, but I'm sure the swimming speed comes in useful too for hunting Aquaman. Seventh level gets us proficiency in wisdom saving throws, not flashy but always welcome. Eighth level gets us land stride so we can tell plants to suck our stamen and ninth level gets us a new spell. If a disappearing sassy shooter weaving in and out of the dark, rapid fire blasting on a crossbow they seemingly haven't been reloading isn't terrifying enough, they can then hit you with the fear spell and really hammer it home. Another optional ability at 10th level, we're taking Nature's Veil. Now much like the last piece of pizza or people that owe you money, you can disappear in broad daylight. As a bonus action, you can do your invisibility trick one turn at a time, and you can use this ability as many times as your proficiency bonus and get all uses back on a long rest. We also get another buff through Deft Explorer with Tireless. This lets you spend an action to give yourself 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier and temporary hit points, but you can also decrease exhaustion on a short rest instead of a long rest. Relive the days of studying for college midterms and take you a one hour power nap before chugging down that special blend of coffee, NOS, and mashed up pills you bought at the gas station because staying alert for 73 hours straight is more important than silly things like... Sanity. You know that phrase, you miss all the shots you don't take? Well, with Stalker's Flurry at 11th level, if you miss one of the shots you did take, I ain't hit a damn thing. You can just take it again. Once per turn, if you miss a creature with an attack, you can just take an additional attack as a part of that action, potentially turning a miss into a hit, which is always a good thing. If you picked up Sharpshooter, this helps negate that negative five penalty to attacks, allowing you to rack up tons of damage every turn. You stand convicted of assholeism. The proper punishment will now take place. Now, how does permanent advantage regardless of the sun sound? How would you like to never again have to worry about attacks revealing your location? Well, do I have the spell for you? All for the low, low price of 13 levels in Gloomstalker and three easy payments of $59.99, you too can become the world's greatest infiltrator with greater invisibility. That's right, attacks and spells cast with this up no longer break the spell, making you an invisible powerhouse. And if you call in the next 15 minutes, we'll throw in Vanish at level 14, letting you hide as a bonus action and you can't be tracked by non-magical means. There's a lot more you could be doing with your bonus action, but if you somehow found yourself fighting in a place with no dark corners like a desert or the surface of the sun, you can now duck behind cover to give yourself advantage. Like an asteroid or something. I don't know. I'm not an astronomist. And our favorite foe damage also bumps up to a D8, so that's cool. With Shadowy Dodge at 15th level, we can crank the volume on our Avenged Sevenfold CD, forcing your opponent to plug their ears and letting you potentially dodge away from a deadly attack. You can use this as a reaction to oppose disadvantage on an attack roll made against you, but with all your buffs already, if the enemy ever has anything but disadvantage against you, you've already messed up. 17th level gets us Seeming, which is basically a tricked out version of Disguise Self for the entire party. I love this spell, but getting it so late in the game is a little lackluster. But hey, you might as well go into world-ending fights looking baller as all hell. <laughs> 
Hey, do you smell that? Oh, y'all smell like this to me! That's right, at 18th level, you've honed your feral senses to a degree that you can sniff out the booties of any invisible creatures within 30 feet of you and you don't have disadvantage on striking them down. I can smell your ass! Finally, our capstone is Foe Slayer. As if you needed any more buffs, this allows you to add your Wisdom mod to either an attack or damage roll once per turn. Extra damage is always sweet, but turning a miss into a hit will never not be where it's at. But let's face it, our dude don't miss. So what sets a subclass apart from the other ranger subclasses? We don't have time to break down all the changes the ranger has gone through, but in short, the ranger has had a long and very memeable existence in the 5e space. The biggest issue with the ranger is that they are far too specific to the kind of campaign you're running. In a high-risk adventure focused on survival and keeping track of food, the ranger can be an S-tier class, but take that same build and plop their unwashed bottoms in Neverwinter and their usefulness tanks way down. Well, except the Gloomstalker. The Gloomstalker somehow completely shatters their perception of rangers. It transcends memes, which may be the most incredible ability of any subclass we've done so far. This shit just slaps, man. It is one of the most well-rounded and powerful subclasses that does one of my favorite things a subclass can do. Build upon itself. It also lends itself well to some insane multi-class combos with the Assassin Rogue especially, but dipping into Fighter gets us Action Surge. And looking at the wording on Dreadful Ambusher, you can trigger that ability twice in the first round of combat, meaning you can attack seven times with your hand crossbow, two of those dealing an extra D8. Sharpshooter is also a must for this sub, especially with all the ways you can make sure to get a hit off. I love this subclass and I'm only a little sad that I'm just now digging into it. I have half a mind to make it an antagonist in the game I'm DMing just to really mess with my players, but you know, we'll see. So if your favorite terrain is a pile of cigarette ashes under an overpass, you've somehow made the worst version of something fun as hell and have a pretty terrifying approach to environmentalism, guess what? You might be a gloomstalker. Hey everyone, if you made it this far, thanks for watching. And please, don't forget to subscribe down below, it really, really helps me out. Right now the channel is growing okay, but you have no idea how far a like, a comment, or a subscription goes towards pushing us in the algorithm. So that's all for now, I hope you have an excellent day, and see you in the next one. Welcome to the game. Hello. (laughs) So, if you are just joining us tonight, we're going to be talking about vampires. And I'm going to thank Russell for this one. We're going to be talking about why vampires suck. (laughs) So, why do vampires suck? Yes. Well, to be fair, um, yeah, we can get into that later.
Yeah, we can. Mm. So, right. yes, if you're just joining us, we are a tabletop talk show and podcast brought to you by Dungeon Studios. We go beyond live play and dive deep into every topic from session zeros to campaign heroes. We stream live and interact with our chat on Facebook every Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. New Zealand. You'd think I'd know that by heart by now, but I have to look down at my notes every single time to know exactly what time we are on. <laughs> so, yep, yep. yes, we're no, here. Reasonable. How you doing tonight, Russell? Today. I'm Sorry, it's daytime right. for you. It is, it is daytime here right now. Um, I can feasibly show you that. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. you can see the light uh, coming out. It's Photoshopped. It's actually it's actually a big it's a big green screen outside my window yeah and I just have like that yeah in fact i'm sitting at ilm right now um That's where they it. shoot the yeah you, you know what i'm saying right oh yeah yeah, yeah. The, i would kill to go there the mandalorian set with mm -hmm. the, the lcd screens all around 360 that's that's where i am yeah yeah that would yes. be much more exciting than probably you know yeah i don't know yeah so. be a, lot, a lot of stress though to be fair i think yeah so you know. But anyway, we're here, guys. So, and why they suck. Why they suck. Actually, well, yeah, I can say there's some, you know, like uh, Twilight, you know, a lot of people think that sucks. We can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, I, I might have to add my name to that list. Yeah. Um, well, actually, to be fair, my name is already on that list. But, so while we are kind of getting the show going, hopefully people are joining us. I, you know, I almost feel like I should wait until we have more people to do this, but I'm just going to say it now because if you watch us on a regular basis, um, you'll know that we don't seem to have a good record lately with staying online. And I'm not entirely certain why that is. Um, we had a few good shows where nothing bad happened. Everything streamed perfectly. It was awesome. And then for some reason, the last couple of weeks has just been like, we're dead in the middle of a topic. Ragged. And then yes, we just get dropped and then we have to kind of restart everything. And I just want to address that because it kills our viewership. And for those of you who do want to come back and actually want to continue hearing what we're talking about, I just want to make sure you guys know, if our feed drops, go back to the Dungeon Studios Facebook page because that's where the live feed is going to pick back up. Now, it's going to pick back up as a second video or a third video or however many you know times we get dropped. It's going to be that many number of videos. So just go back right. to our Facebook page, Dungeon Studios, and then find us and come join us again because it really sucks, sucks, uh, when we are having really good conversation with the people in our chat. We're having a lot of back and forth. They're telling us what they're thinking. We get to incorporate everything that they're saying into the show. And then we drop and then you guys can't find us again. And, and then we're just talking at each other, which is fine. I love talking to Russell. But I would love for you guys to just continue to come join us and be part of the conversation. So I just wanted to address that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, I, that, it, yeah, that, that is useful. Yeah. Um, so essentially, yeah, if we drop Dungeon Studios page, scroll down, click the newest link. Yes, yes. Because we've just, we between me and Russell, I think we get a few people just sending us direct messages like, where do we find it? What's happening? And, and so just know that if for some reason we go down, we're on top of it. 
and we will be right back and then you just stick around on that page and maybe just like keep refreshing it and then when that new video pops up that's where we'll be now we don't want to dwell on technical issues or labor the point so right what are we talking about next (laughs) i ask well see what we're talking about yes i was gonna say well before i get to that I'm going to, now that everyone has heard my preamble about please listen to our show and please find us again if we drop, please, if you find us, wherever you find us, whether it's YouTube or on some podcast uh, platforms or on Facebook, uh, wherever you find us, please subscribe because that will really help us to continue to grow the show, um, share with your friends because we have some really great topics. And I will tell you with all the forums that I'm a part of, there's somebody who's asking a question and I can just post a link directly to the video that we just recently talked about this. And I'm like, if you listen to this video, we will help you exactly through the problem that you're asking about. So share with your friends. (laughs) Okay. And now on to nerd news. Nerd news. Nerd news. For those of you who are creatives and love to world build, uh, love to write, we at Dungeon Studios are currently looking for writers to join our author pool. Uh, we have a, a large collection of people that uh, are part of Dungeon Studios that write for us, write you know adventure modules or you know supplemental uh, material source book content uh and this would be for the D 5e rule set so if this is something that is interesting to you i'm going to pop a link or hopefully maybe josh when he gets on will pop a link in our chat to find our discord server that's where we're the most active um and if you join us in the discord server you can get more information about how to apply mm-hmm. i have some information here and that is that um If you are going to apply, you need to be able to write creative pieces of work. They need to be able to be unique uh, and nonlinear writings. You may not be writing from, you know, writing something from the beginning to the end. You may be writing a chunk in the middle or something that's going to supplement with something someone else is writing. So needs to be able to be nonlinear. And we have preset templates, so you'll be working with that. And the submissions are due by September 1st. That's the most important part. Uh, you'll need to submit like a short piece of writing and your resume and all of that information is on our Discord server. It's also on the Dungeon Studios Facebook page. So again, share with your friends. If you have creative friends that you know would love to work with this stuff and do homebrew, if they even have any experience with homebrewery, those of you who know, know what homebrewery is. I know you do. So Anybody who has experience with that, we're looking for you, okay? And it is a paid writer position, so just uh, come find us in the Discord. Right. (laughs) Yes. So with that, uh, that is, I mean, that's all I have for nerd news. Was there anything that you wanted to pop in there? or? Um... Well, I mean, we, we, we had a bit of a chat about a, a video we saw the other day um, about Wizards of the Coast's sales figures, yes. um, which seem to be a bit more murky than um, previously. I mean, I don't know. You can make a lot of assumptions about them. But I think we need to look at them a little bit more carefully ourselves before we start making any public statements. So I'm going to drop that one for now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, and we can move on with um, our week in D&D, I assume, is, is what we yes. want to do next. Yeah. 
So I just wanted to let everybody know I did really quick. Oh, I'm logged in as Purdy Nerdy. Oops. Okay, so you guys are going to see that as Purdy Nerdy, which is my YouTube channel. But I just uh, posted the link to the Discord server for anyone who's interested. Uh, again, share that out with your friends. Okay, so our week in games. Um, yeah. I had a very interesting week. Um, so I ran my game for my players. And nice. we, we've actually we've done really well for the last several years or however many years we've been playing this campaign that we are able to play and the only person we are ever missing at our table is sometimes my husband because he has this rotating schedule and if he can't play it's just it's just really hard to schedule around that sometimes um right. so he created a character that kind of makes it like you know oh well yeah. funny you look and now he's gone but then he comes back right. like he just right. he's a quiet character like that so everyone just kind of expects him to take off every once in a while and, <coughs> and it's just right fun. but um, we've been really lucky that we've had him uh for a lot of the sessions recently and we kind of have to because we're going through his backstory but then it's been making a little bit of scheduling hard with getting everyone else so we've actually had these right. like few sessions where like there's always someone missing. It's kind of hard. I feel like maybe we need to have a, an episode soon where we talk about what to do have when to you have that. yeah missing players or yeah, yeah things like yeah. that. But, I, I get it a lot. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it happens quite happen. often. So yeah. um, anyway, we had our session and we had one person who was missing. We had one person who could only join online for a few hours. And then hmm. the rest of us were at the table. So it was kind of in this interesting mix of, you know, online and in-person players. But what was great about this was um, being, focusing on my husband's backstory. I, I think this is the first time I've really seen him get into the role play part of his character, which was really cool mm -hmm. to see. Um, awesome. I mean, because we're in his backstory. So the, the whole right. thing kind of, it, it's the weight is on him. Uh, but we, so, so they were traveling through the mountains. If I, if you all remember, we had that undead goat encounter, which we kind of came up with on the show, go back to one of those. I, I don't remember what episodes that was. I think that was homebrewing and scaling monsters, but, um, right. we had come up with that encounter. They fought the undead goats and then they arrived at this Goliath keep. Um, this is the bastion of Goliath's society here like there's four main tribes and this one tribe is the most civilized of the tribes and they they are so civilized that they also are the lore keepers for the Goliath society um right. so they actually have like a real keep it's not like an orc fort you know it kind of had that decor but it was but it also had stone buildings it kind of looked a little bit like a castle and and right. so and it was carved into the side of a mountain and there's mines wow. that go down in into into the mountain so they yeah. arrived and the purpose for their going to see these goliaths was that they're they're trying to call it's called a blood of the four which is like that's the four Goliath leaders meeting, and they always meet here at this bastion of Goliath society, and it's called the Blood of the Four, and they only call this if there's some major decision that needs to be made that will impact all of Goliath, all of Goliathdom. <laughs> so the party heads there because they're trying to get them to call this Blood of Four, and they realize that two of the four tribes aren't there yet. 
but they're probably right. going to be. So they have some time to kill. And in this keep, there is a a ragged like tavern. Um, I, I remember they were like, oh, there's a sign on, on the top of the tavern. What does it say? And it's it's in giant. So one of them read it and I said, well, it just says food. Like they don't have like, you know, they don't have tavern names. It just says food. This right. is where you go to get the food. So they went in and they um, they were trying to kind of make some friends. But at the same time, this is the first time I have saw them really like without even communicating the plan. They kind of eyeballed each other and had a plan. And the rogue got on top of the bar top and started kind of like dancing and being charismatic, which he 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 is. He likes to woo the ladies. And then right. one of the other characters started a drinking competition and they were doing this all to distract the entire group of Goliaths that were in there so that my husband can kind of sneak around and, and pay attention to like, who's being a little bit more serious? Who's whispering? Who's, right. you know, also there was a second floor to the tavern. So he snuck up to the second floor to see what he could find. And so I, I mean, I don't have to get into the nitty gritty details of all that they did, but that was really fun for me to see that there was so little planning and yet they fell into this plan like that and just did everything that they could to make it easy for him to do what he wanted to do. Um, The drinking competition was great because that was my son's character. So my son's 15 and he's like, I'm going to get into a drinking competition with this Goliath. And (laughs) somehow historically in the game, his character, he's a, a gnome. And somehow he always rolls really well for his constitution rolls. And so he has this history of being able to drink people under the table. But for some reason, this time around, it didn't work. He got one round done. And then he proceeded to start with the second round. And he rolled so terribly. And I said, said, I'm going to make you roll to decide whether or not you pass out or whether or not you throw up. He rolled, it was that he was going to throw up, but he had no containers. So he basically took the big giant mug that he had and threw back up into the mug. Uh, And then he says, I'm going to look that Goliath straight in the eye and I'm going to drink it again. And I'm like, you realize there's vomit in your cup. And he's like, yes, stone face. I was like, oh, oh, this is amazing. So Uh, I had him roll and I said, this time it's a much higher DC because you are drinking your vomit. And so I gave him this high DC. I gave him a chance. He rolled horribly. So he he threw it all up again and he was like, that's it. I give up. And I was like, (laughs) it was was so great i thought okay my son's engaging my husband's role playing everybody's <clears> doing <throat> what they're supposed to be doing it was really cool and then um when 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 i was preparing for this session i got the vibe from my husband that he thought because this is goliath society that one of the ways if not the only way to gain their respect was that he was going to have to fight that there would have to be some kind of a one-on-one fight with either the Goliath leader or somebody right. to gain their attention. Respect and attention. Or their respect. Yeah. So I tucked that into my brain and I was like, That's, that could be a possibility. That's not the only thing that he could do to gain their respect. But I had that in there just in case. And sure enough, once they were done in the tavern, he kind of poked around and asked, like, what do we need to do? to get this. This is what we want to do. And so I threw it out there. I said, well, you could show that you are a leader and this is how we show that we're leaders 
And so he said, well, then that's what I want to do. And so all of a sudden, the entire Goliath population just meets in like this, <coughs> excuse me, courtyard of this keep. It's like a, um, they know it's a thing. So all of a sudden it's like, fight, fight, fight. And they just start setting up barricades. They have this whole area set up. And his group, our group, they're called, by the way, I don't know if I've shared this on the channel. They call right. their group the Minute Men. And I'm not entirely certain how that came up other than... Like the, the Minute Men? It's like the Minute Men, but it's the Minute Men because minute. we've got two gnomes, a dwarf, a very short, wiry elf. So they're <laughs> all very small and petite, except for the Goliath. And right. somehow I think that's their... They just came up with this group, na group name. So just in case, that way I don't have to keep you know, getting people confused with who I'm talking about. So the Minute Men pull uh the goliath aside and they're like okay we're gonna prep you for this they start giving him like uh, a potion to drink and i think it was like frost giant strength and all this stuff because it's an unarmed combat that they right. have to do and so i quickly rolled up a goliath monk because i was like yeah this is gonna be challenging this isn't just gonna be like a mirror image of you i'm gonna make this guy hard to fight and i knew that they were gonna pump him up with potions and whatever inspiration whatever else they could do so he we proceed to do this fight and mm -hmm. i wasn't sure how it was gonna go i i was a little worried i might kill him or hurt him <laughs> but um he got really creative and at, at a certain point he said this dude's how old is this dude and i'm like well he's like he's a little bit on the older side there's no old goliaths but he's on the older side right and so he said well can i see any part of him that might look like it's an old injury or like is he favoring anything because Goliaths fight all the time and I was like you know what I'm gonna reward the fact that he's looking into this so I'm like yeah sure right. I said you notice that his right knee is kind of like jacked up and every once in a while he kind of takes his weight off of it so sure enough he started focusing his attacks on the knee right. so I let him do a little additional damage and I'm glad that I did because apparently I found out like he could have gone down if if I hadn't given that given him that he would have gone down. So, <laughs> so oh, no. and while he was doing the fight, the rest of or one of the other group members, the the rogue, was like, "Well, now is my opportunity. I'm going to go and do some other shenanigans." And they found out that like the uh, the Goliath's father is there being held in like a little jail cell. So they were trying to figure out why and. They, f they found out, like, all their weapons got taken when they came into the keep. So they found out where their weapons were kept. And Excuse me. So there's just a... They, they did such a good job. I just don't even... Like, it was... I felt like it was a really good session. As a DM, it was very rewarding for me. So um, that, was, that yeah. was basically it. I mean, they left that session with <laughs> the fight... The, that the Goliath won the fight. He gained their respect. And and then now we kind of left it at that, like, okay, what's next? They know that his father is in the jail cell. What are they going to do about that? Are they going to try to break him out? Are they not? Are they, you know, so. Right. We'll see. Wow. Can you yeah. still hear me? I can. Cool. Oh, okay. So because sometimes I, I muted my microphone for a moment so I could shut the window because it was a, a lawnmower outside my window. Oh. I, I remember that previously I've done that. I've just tapped my microphone and the whole sound is cracked out. And the, oh, oh no. Itchy. So 
I was a bit concerned after doing it. And I thought, oh, shit, that might have fucked the sound. So, yeah. yeah. No, it was oh, good. wow. That was, a, that was very interesting. I have some interesting Goliath. Um, I have a group, one of my groups is called the Frostmore Crows. And of course, they are running around trying to unite uh, 13 Goliath tribes in the Frostmore um, in order to uh essentially they 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 have a treaty with the humans um the Muldrean protectorate and the currently that treaty is in danger because one of the human free cities the city of Barakyle run by the evil Barakyle wizards you've heard so much about over the various stories i've told you mm-hmm. um well they they that there's there's this Avery's not here at the moment, so would um, I can talk about this? Um, there's this <laughs> massive star beast sitting. Well, on hold the on. Feet. I was going to say, do, do you think Avery would listen to the show when it's he not might. live? He might, but I don't think he, he's he's a, he's a good, capable player. He, okay. won't, he won't he won't use this okay. even if I tell him it's not very useful to his characters anyway. Um, there's this massive Cthulhu-like star beast sitting frozen like a huge mountain octopus on, on this beach. And the Barakyle wizards are mining into its brain and using this powdered substance from its cerebellum to make this drug wow. called Skagen blood. Um, and Skagen blood gives uh, prophetic visions to people and what have you, but it also... After a couple of uses, it makes your eyes bleed. Oh. It eventually makes you go blind and eventually kills you. Okay. Um, so there's a very few number of people um, who have immunity to this. And so this one of the one of the tribes uh, called the Thoris Blood tribe, actually, um, they have uh, they have this prophet that has arisen amongst them called the Skagen Blood Prophet. And he's sort of rebelling against the other Goliath and stirring shit up. And he's kind of allying somewhat with oh. the Barakyle wizards. Avery's so here the... now. It's like you just oh, summoned oh, him. Oh, oh, no, I summoned him. Oh, no. Oh, I better shut up about that then. Okay, well, <laughs> my week in, in D&D and in, in gaming, um, well, I don't know. I've had a few a few missed games recently. Um, players have been decidedly unreliable. Oh, and no. so I've had to do alternative things like stream map making and chatting online, um, which is not so bad, but um anyway what else we the main thing that happened this week is we had uh, our sunfall campaign has been building up for quite a few months towards this gladiatorial combat um which has been sort of in the background for a while and there's been propaganda being dropped by both sides across the city of vane gate and people doing little sort of publicity stunts and things like taking a uh what is it a a pig's head or a goat's head, I can't remember which, it was months ago, and, and putting it outside the Orkin Tavern, the Four Shields Tavern, um, calling the Red Fangs basically um, Nancy's. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We, yeah, well, I was going to say we'll see, but no, we did see because on, on Saturday it happened. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I got out my huge map. I got to use that. Uh, and I drew a massive arena, which took up the entire table. Wow. Um, Sean, one of our players, brought all these little pillars. We, I think we've got some photos of some of these things. Um, and I got to use all the bat minis that, that they gave me, or Sean gave me, and the, um, the orc minis and what have you. Uh, do I have them here? I do, but I'm not going to get them out because of okay. that. Maybe later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was a huge fight, um, and it was hilarious at times. Um, it was in front of something like 10,000 people in this arena. Um, 
And essentially it came down to this. The, the players had... Um, so the Red Fangs of Shargas are a... You might have heard of them. They're a cult in D&D of uh, Orkin uh, worshippers of one of the death gods, Shargas, or Orkin death god of deceit and trickery, as opposed to the Orkin death god of you know disease or mm. death god of war or so they're all death gods of something right um very few of death god of death and fertility yeah. um <laughs> you know so but this is the death god of uh, of deceit and trickery shargas and so these red fangs they're kind of this cult they're, they're like the elite uh kind of they're not exactly stormtroopers. They they do things like kidnapping people and and um, intelligence and stuff like that. You know, as far as orcs go, um, and they fly giant bats and they paint their fangs red. So they're they're quite terrifying. Okay. And I've brewed my own version of them because the original game version from the monster manuals um, was a little bit. The players had kind of outgrown them by the time I got to use them. And so when they first encountered them, they kind of just wiped them and it wasn't that big of a deal. So I thought, well, you know, I've got the story. I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to make better red fangs. Um, so I made the elite red fangs of Shargas with That's elite right. red fang bats that have legendary actions and such. So they can jump off their bats and, and do special attacks, um, which does shit tons more damage. And, and that, that scares the crap out of them. Orc secret police. Yes, yeah. Avery, that is pretty much it. Uh, you already hinted at the scark and blood to me, Russ. Oh, apparently I have. Oh, <laughs> oops. Anyway, oops. so um, in fact, Avery, if you look at the map of uh, Vanderhold, you'll notice that there is, in fact, a, a, a giant octopus on one of the beaches. Um, so that's a clue. Anyway, um, yeah, so they went into battle with these red fangs and... The, bat, the red fangs flew down with their bats, and, and they, they were, there were some rules. For example, I threw this at them at the last minute, and they, they'd spent so much time planning and preparing for this, but the, the rule I, I gave them at the last minute was they could only have one concentration spell at a time as a group. As both a groups. group? Oh, right. wow. So both groups could only have one concentration spell operating. And that made things very interesting. They really had to think about it. They changed their yeah. whole plan. They, they went through their spell lists and um, worked out how they were going to how they're going to operate with only one concentration spell at a time. So it was pretty grueling. Um, the Red Fangs went at them, um, of course, from above. There was capture the flag too, so that made it all the more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but the funniest part of it was when Riand, the rogue, um, he has a re he's a magic carpet, a flying carpet. So that gave him a little bit of an edge uh, against these flying bats and red fangs. And he was fast. He, he was like tw 20 feet faster than any of the red fangs on their bats. Wow. They, they move at 60 feet per turn. He could move at 80 feet per turn. That's a fast carpet. Uh, it's fast. So um, that was interesting. But what was really fucking hilarious is that he he was carrying their, uh, his flag and he was trying to steal the enemy flag. Um, one of the Red Fangs had the enemy flag. They had their own flag um, and they were carrying it on their bat. Riand was hanging out over by a pillar up at 25 feet above the sand. And this, this Red Fang decided to jump on him from above off his bat to try and kill him um, so that he could use his legendary action. Okay. So that he could do extra damage and hopefully he was going to wipe him out with one hit. Yeah. Um, or 
very soon after, possibly throw him off and make him take some falling damage, something along those lines. So the Red Fang jumps off the bat, lands on the flying carpet next to Rian. Rian puts down his flag at some point um, during the scuffle, so that his flag's laying on the carpet. The Red Fang's still holding on to his own flag, the blue flag, um, and he attacks Rian and tries to shove him off the carpet and fails, which is amazing because Rian is a skinny rogue, right? Um, so Rian doesn't fall off the carpet. Instead, he decides at that point that he is going to uh, he, he starts rising the carpet up at some point, but he gets above the other bat, um, the, the bat that the Red Fang jumped off. He decides to vacate the carpet, jump onto the bat. Oh. <laughs> and as he does that, he tells the carpet to go up 80 feet. Okay. Now, at the time, this is genius, because now he's got a the, the, the Red Fang that's got the blue flag, the enemy flag, is on the carpet at 80 feet. Mm -hmm. He can't do anything. He can't can't move the carpet. He can't jump off the carpet because it's 85. Actually, it was 110 feet or something in the end because it was yeah. past the height that it was already at. So he was miles in the air, and he was stuck there. And he, Rianne was like, oh, he can't do anything. He's fucked. Um, but what Rianne hadn't considered at that moment in time, and which came up a little bit later, was the fact that the distance at which he could command the carpet was only 30 feet. Uh-oh. So once he had sent the carpet up 80 feet, he could no longer command the carpet. Uh-oh. <laughs> and so he'd lost it, right? essentially lost his carpet. And the Red Fang, kind of realizing how high he was and how fucked he was, decided that um, you know his honor and the honor of the Red Fangs was more important than his life. So he jumped off the fucking carpet to try and dive bomb Rianne on the bat. So the bat took damage. The bat fell somewhat. I don't think Rian had actually took any damage on that turn. Um, and then the battle sort of started again over there. So it continued from then. And it was sort of after that that he realized they couldn't get their, their magic carpet back. So oh. Oh, the, man. The, the Red Fangs managed to get their, uh, they managed to get Rian's flag off him. They took both the flags back to their base on the on the arena, and te technically they won at that point. But then the queen, who one of the players, uh, Avery's character, um, in fact, Sornal uh, is a bard that the queen happens to like, um, although she didn't know that at the time. But she, in the in this case, she decided she wanted the battle to continue, despite that. So they continued with this battle to the death. There were, by the way, no resurrections going to be possible. That was another one of the rules. Ooh. So high stakes. Yeah. Um, so it's a battle where you could die and then there's no resurrection. Yeah. So technically the Red Fangs won, but then the battle continued and at which point the players actually beat them um, pretty much fair and square. So uh, they they survived. They got their, their, their spoils. They also spent the first half of the game um, betting on themselves, <laughs> running around, figuring out odds and betting. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, that was quite amusing. Um, yes, and as a as a as a person that doesn't really gamble, uh, and I don't really understand odds and things like that, this is where ChatGPT was useful. I always talk about ChatGPT um, because I was able to get it to role play as a betting agent, ah. and I asked it questions. Um, so I got it to be the betting agent. It wouldn't it wouldn't give me clear answers if I asked it certain obvious straightforward questions. But once I got it role playing as a fictional um betting agent in the world 
yeah. uh, it, it was able to give me good answers and that was really useful. Um, so yeah, they, they won and they made a lot of money. So that was cool. And, oh, and then they figured out that they could get the, the carpet back eventually. Um, Oh yeah, Avery. Avery said he he had his character put all of his affairs in order since he had the lowest armor class of the group. Oh really? He, he got all of his affairs in order before the fight because he knew there could be, possibly there could be death. Wow. Um, it was certainly on the cards. I I, I would kill player characters. I you know I do it from time to time. I've often, actually done but... that as my character um, when when I thought we were heading into an area where like I might my character might die. Um, this is before my character actually did die. Um, but I actually wrote, like we were talking about the episode with, you know, player handouts and stuff. I actually wrote letters to each of the players. And I told nice. my DM that I prepared this so that if I died and they like checked my body, they would find these um, letters That's to awesome. them. And and I can't remember if I'd told you, but at one point our DM had decided we had too much money that we couldn't possibly physically carry it around. So we were forced to do something with all of it. And so we invested it in a company and we had created right. this um, uh, airship transportation company, right? So when we had the new player join at one point, he joined after we had formed that company. So he was never part right. of it. And so I, I had decided I was going to give him my shares of that company because he was always right. complaining, like, I'm not part of you guys. I'm not part of you guys. And I'm like, well, now you are. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just funny. Uh, and then and I never, they never, it never really played into when I actually died. I, now that I think about it, like they never, bothered to look they were just like no we're gonna go through hell and high water to bring her back so <laughs> right interesting ah, well good on them that's yeah. that's commitment to the group yeah you know sorry um, i didn't mean to cut in there i just no 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 that was fine i mean i'm i i what did anything else happen this week uh some Vampire got cancelled, unfortunately. So that's that's a shame. We've lost two games in a row now. I'm a bit yeah. sad about that. So we'll have to pick that up. We're going to be talking a lot about Vampire shortly, though. Um, so that might pique somebody's interest. Yeah. You never know. Um, wrote some more adventures, preparing for this Friday on um, the, the, the roll stream at Twitch. Uh, we are running a the return of Milford Brixton, which he's a character that, speaking of death, he died earlier in the um, in our online streamed campaign with actors um, like a year ago, maybe maybe more than that, maybe closer to two years ago. His character, wow. Milford Brixton, the rogue. He died falling. He, he climbed into a pool of water, which he thought was just a pool of water, and it turned out to be a portal to the Shadowfell. Oh. And, um, <laughs> oops. Um, yeah, it was a bad idea. So I've, yeah, we're going to run a game. Basically, this is going to be a mini campaign with new characters. The other players are going to have new characters. Barry's been playing his own other characters for the last two years, but now he's going back to Milford okay. um, to play what happened. Um, so essentially it starts in the shadow fell with Milford by himself. And then the other players are going to turn up playing clerics of the death domain, Shadow Kai clerics, servants of the Raven queen. I think my camera's frozen. Yeah. That's, sometimes it, it freezes and then unfreezes. So I'm hoping. Yeah. We'll see if it unfreezes. It. But, um, unfreeze. Unfreeze. What's, what's that show? Is it like this? And then, is that, no, that's I dream of genie. I don't know what this is. <laughs> 
Oh, no. Come on. Hang on. I've, I've got an idea. I'm going to use uh, Streamlabs. Oh, I see it's frozen. I think I'm mixing. Okay, now somebody tell me, somebody who's who's in my age get generation while you're trying to fix this. Because I'm thinking there was a show with a little girl who was a robot. And I think she did this. Am I? Oh, man. You know, I know my husband would know exactly what I'm talking about. But there was a girl. I think she paused time when she did this. But then there was the I Dream of Jeannie where I think she did this. So... Somebody correct me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I You're don't still know. frozen. Okay. Uh, yeah, still frozen. Let's try turning the camera off and on again. Off and on again. All right. Let's uh, do that. And I will do this. Oh, I'm turning my camera off and on again, but you can do it too. Oh, whoops. Okay. Well, now you're just a black square. Just a black square. Yes. <laughs> Just a black square. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, well, while we're continuing to work on this, let's see. Avery said, you plan to leave someone shares in a company. I plan to leave a minor no noble title. I can speak English. Um, that's really cool. I want to hear more about this minor noble title. Um, yeah, so just for some more clarification while we're waiting for Russell to fix his camera. Yeah. Uh, the game that I play in, we have a character whose name is you. Uh, he, I think I might have talked about this before, uh, yeah. but yeah. he he was raised as like a slave and uh, was basically as a kid called you creature, and so he just grew up thinking that was his name. He doesn't actually know his name. He doesn't know who his real parents are or anything like that. And then eventually got picked up by the, the wizard and joined the wizard and then the, the, they joined our party. And so we call him you in the game and hilarity ensues because whenever we're talking to somebody and we're like, hey, you. And then he goes, what, me? And, you know, it's the who's on first thing happens all the time. Uh, okay, so that's always now, fun. I think the camera is working. Um, so now we just have to fix the streamed from me to you. So okay. um, try re rejoining the 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 link the link yeah that's okay. what i was trying to say yep i can speak english okay english um, <laughs> but uh very good england yes so while we're waiting on that um okay so go. there's you creature and we have the who's on first and we're always talking about you which by the way we also have an owl that someone named who so we do have who and we have you and uh and then when we started our company, our airship company, we called it Use Guys. And we have a tagline, you, oh God, I'm going to forget it now. I think it's like you, you buy them, we fly them. I think that's what it is. Uh, that's right. So we have a tagline. We even had stickers made. Like we have our own merch that's just for us. Like we're not selling it or anything. Um, just waiting for Russell's camera to come back. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that is the company, Use Guys. Uh, and we talk about it all the time in game. And then we had the new character join. And poor guy, he's not part of Use Guys. Uh, but he will be if I die. If I die, die. Uh, the feed is messing up because I showed up. Yes, Upright Man, that is you. Not who, that is you. <laughs> it's all. It's all on him. It's all his fault. Um, and you know what else? I mentioned last week I was going to burn Sage, and I didn't. But I, why? I don't know why, but uh, I should have. So, all right. I guess I will try to fill some time here. 
Uh, now I, now you need a character familiar, et cetera, called by you. Oh God. Cause, because we really need to add to that madness. We don't. <laughs> um, all right. Well, okay. I have something to fill the time. Uh, I'm going to fill it very poorly because I only just started this, but there's a YouTube show that I've started to watch. I was going to add this into like my week in games if for some reason I had nothing to add. Um, but there's a YouTube show called IOverse something IO. I can put a link in the chat later when we hit break. But my older son introduced this to me. Uh, it is a it's a real play D&D show where they are playing the minds of Fendel Fendelin Fendelvin. I can never remember the exact name. But they're doing it with hardcore rules. So if you, and I, I haven't picked up on all the rules yet, but it's, they are doing encumbrance rules. They're at level one. If you die, like they have like five characters on standby because you will die. And I think if you fall unconscious, they have a table and you get like a permanent scar or something terrible happens. Um, I'm going to pause real quick. Okay, Upright Man. Oddly, in the real world, people ask me to stand next to their computer to make it work. Online is the opposite. Yeah. Can you just get away from the internet, please? Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, I started watching this show because my son asked me to. He said it's it's hilarious. And uh, I make no secret that I really respect voice actors. Uh, voice actors are fantastic. I I wish I could do what they do. I do it very, very poorly. Very poorly. Um, and so this is a bunch of voice actors who play. So it's very entertaining because the voices, you can just see the characters. And I will tell you right now, one of the characters is like Morty from Rick and Morty. So he's very fearful. He sounds like a, a, a teenage boy with a cracking voice. Um, it's He's great. Uh, there is a character who is like the cutest little kid ever um and immediately upon starting this this uh adventure they all thought oh we need to protect this poor little kid because this poor little kid's gonna die and somehow uh oh okay russell says i am connected but you can't see or hear me for some reason hmm okay oh there we go for some reason it didn't show me he was there you should be here now are you here nope Still can't see or hear him. Oh, I know why. Because you're, for some reason. Uh, okay, so Russell, I don't know if you can hear me, but you're on the link that's for the screen share and not the link that I usually use for your head image, if that makes any sense. So I can, yeah, I'm a, I guess I can show you, but then if you want to screen share later, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> so at least he can, ch hey guys, he's in the chat. He's in Facebook chat. So <laughs> maybe I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this. You guys are going to see his really big head for a second because it's live and what else am I going to do? Uh, okay, we'll do this. Oh my god. Okay. Can you hear can we hear you? Can you talk? 
Nope, can't hear you. Uh-oh. Okay, well, at least we're seeing your big old face here. I don't know what else to do. Do you want to... Do you want me to resend the link? Thumbs up for yes? Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to resend him the link, folks. And uh, give me one second... I don't know. We'll try it. We'll see. You know, I didn't even think to transition the screen, so I hope you guys saw his big face because that was really fun. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, I just have to say that this show is fantastic, and so I am going to promote that that show because it's, it's so much fun to watch, and I want them to make more um, because this little tiny kid that is supposed... Oh, here he is. Okay. And sound. we can hear you. Yay. 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 We, have sound. we did Woot. it. Woohoo. Okay. Right, back. I no idea how dark it was in there. <laughs> well, I told Upright Man to get away from the internet. Like, he's not allowed anywhere so, within the internet's area. I was in the upside down for like five minutes. And, <laughs> and like, you have no idea. I saw things, man. <laughs> Okay. I'm not sweating. Not at all. Okay. Where were we? Oh, me either. Yeah, no. Okay. Well, let's see. So we oh, were talking about our week in games. And I think yeah. that was where we were ending. You were done or you had more things yeah. to say? Yeah, I was. I, oh, not much. I just did some more incarnate mapping. And um, yeah, basically, I've been mapping out most of the major areas of my uh, campaign setting, Sidariel. And then doing more refined maps of certain things that I use a lot. Um, actually, the funny story, there is one funny story I'll quickly tell you. <clears throat> I, I was streaming my map making on, uh, mm. might have been That's Monday right. night, I don't recall. Um, and I've been making things like I made the Forbidden District of Vain Gate uh, because players go there a lot. I have a lot of missions there and there's a whole, it's kind of a little story and unto itself happening there mm -hmm. um so i mapped that out that was cool and then i i had avery online funnily enough and i said to him you know got, got any mapped ideas for something i should do and he's like yeah you should do drizale's house drizale's this npc who's this sort of dwarven crime boss so i i thought okay yeah I'll, I'll do this and i started doing it and i very quickly realized that most of the maps that i've been making up until that point had been either big regional maps or world level maps or dungeon maps that were full of ruins and shit like that. Okay. And all of a sudden, I have this map that I have to make that's got to be really clean and orderly and tidy, and it's somebody's house that they actually live in. Oh. So there can be no rubble lying around. You cannot just fucking throw shit in there and, and layer yeah. it up to make it look busy and messy. It has to look really clean. And so it was a whole new level of difficulty in that regard. <clears throat> so I have to say that was it was fun, yeah. Um, but it was challenging. So what, did, yeah, did you I use learned a lot uh, actually. AI for that, or did you use some kind of a software for that? Or? No, no, no. I'm using Incarnate. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, funnily enough, I was there's there's supposed to be a statue of Morden because the interesting thing is that this particular house is a place where players from a bunch of different groups all go to 
for whatever reason. Um, he's a major NPC in the world. And so a lot of players have been to Drizal's house, and I have explained it and verbalized it and described it dozens and dozens of times to different groups of players and, and so on. So I have in my head a really kind of detailed picture of what I think it looks like in theater of the mind. Right. But trying to put that onto a map was a whole new level of challenge. You know, yeah. it had, um, fuck, it has like different level balconies out the front of it. And there's a stone table that in my mind was kind of offset from the door out the front. But then there was other things that kind of got in the way of that. And it was like, oh, I, ha I have to rearrange things and uh, I needed pillars and so on and this kind of thing and there's a statue of Moradin in a fountain out the front door um, and I couldn't find anything in the incarnate library that looked anything like a statue of Moradin yeah. so I thought well you know fuck this I, I got on the AI and I, I made a picture of a statue of Moradin from above mm -hmm. um, and I l uploaded it to incarnate <laughs> and I, I just covered it with shadows you can't really tell what it is but it's just, there's a statue sitting in, in the fountain out the front door now yeah um, I'll do That's a better awesome. job on it at some point but yeah it was fun it was fun yeah, anyway, I was going to say, you know, when it comes to like an NPC or a PC where you have a very distinct image in your mind, like most people I know, at least if they're trying to generate an image or find an image, they'll go, eh, it's close enough. But I get what you're saying when it comes to like a, a house or a location where you know every piece of it, um, right. that's really hard. Yeah, yeah. And it's you're not sort of relying on AI to do it, you're doing it yourself. So yeah. you know it can be done, or at least you think it can because you've had it in your head. But then yeah. you start seeing the inconsistencies <laughs> in your descriptions and you're like, ooh, uh, I described that there and it's actually that doesn't fit there. You know, there's already something there or something else. Anyway, so yeah, it's a you know, because it's basically it's a it's a dwarven mansion on a hill like this, and mm -hmm. it's inset into the hill. Yeah. Um, so there's underground parts and above ground parts and it's multi-leveled um, and there's a lot of shit going on in there. So I've just done one level so far. So wow. it's been putting it's been in a lot of work there. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's fun though. <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, that's, that's my week in gaming. Yeah. Sounds like you had a busy week. I do have an unsolicited opinion. I would love to um, hear your unsolicited opinion. <laughs> I guess right. that means well, it's not, it's solicited then. It's solicited. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that you've asked for it, it's now solicited. It's Russell's yeah. solicited opinion. Yes. I will take um, the solicited opinion. Basically, the, the subject that I'm going to talk about briefly is um, the subject of playing NPCs as a player character where, for example, you've, you're playing a and d, d game, you're the DM, and you've got like a big bad guy you know, the big, bad, evil guy, um, and you, rather than play them yourself, you get somebody else to literally play that character as a player character mm -hmm. um, in order to give them the opportunity to think through all of their options and their actions and their, even their behind-the-scenes type of stuff and so on and so forth. So I've, I, I was invited to do this once um, by a friend of mine, Steve. I didn't actually know Steve at the time. He read one of my blogs. Um, and he he knew the person that I was talking about in the blog who played in his campaign. He turned out to be the DM that he, that the person I'd interviewed had, had been talking about. Okay. The um, complicated backstory, but that's not really all that relevant. The main thing is he asked me to play Strahd in his game, um, um, which I did. And that's an honored so position. I this, eh? 
I yeah, said that's an honored so, position. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was it was about it was twenty. When was it? Two thousand and ooh, twenty twenty three. I think. Um, Isn't it twenty twenty three now? Sorry, what am like... I saying? Twenty twenty. <laughs> Was, it, was it that long ago what? that it was just a few months? Yes, it was, no, it was 1923. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, to my surprise, uh, this guy, Steve, contacts me after I did this interview with this fellow, Raj. Um, and he he asks me um, if I'd like to play Strad, right? So I'm like, hell, yes, I do. Immediately, Steve and I headed off, and we become instant friends. And I sp we spent, like, I don't know how many hours on Zoom over about four days getting me up to speed with his version of Barovia and his players and their story so far, um, talking about Strad and our interpretation of Strad. And we went into sort of, you know, minute detail about the moment of the beginning of the campaign session that I would be playing in. Right. So that I knew where everybody was even standing and so on. Um, wow. The funny thing is, I mean, I knew this one of the players, but they didn't know that I was going to be doing this. So it was going to be a surprise to them. So I came into their Zoom chat um, and just waited with a black screen um, for Ooh. about an hour, actually, before they entered me in. And I had prepared of various uh lines so it's of dialogue. not like they could even see that there was a black square just waiting like they couldn't see that they they, I think they actually they could see that but they had no idea who it was okay all right um and i changed my the zoom tension. name so they so they couldn't you know they, they knew there was something funny going on and they were nervous because they knew that and i could hear them but i had my mic on mute that's awesome um, so then finally, my my opening comes up. My character lands, Strad lands on, on his, uh, how did it look? It's like flying something. It was a flying horse. That's right. Um, and I turn up and I'm like, greetings and salutations. I am the Baron Strad von Zarovich. And I start this whole speech that I've written up. And they, particularly Raj, the guy that I know, he just cracks up. He just, just about. Because he, he knows who you are now? He spilled his drink, I think. <laughs> so it was hilarious. Um, yeah, so it's a fun thing to do. And if you get a chance uh, to do it at any time. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. going to, because I wasn't sure how long the story was going to go on. I was going to let any viewers who are watching, and if you don't know who Strahd is, that's like the vampire in D&D. &D. Like, that's the right. vampire in D&D. &D. <laughs> right. I, so it's I really actually... cool. Yeah, I mean, I've got some links uh, to the to the video um, of it, which I'm, I, I might post them up in. Um, that would be great. Copy that. I'll put it in here. Oof. There you go. Yeah. Um, so that's all fun and games. My guest appearance is Strad. Yeah. And I've got a, there's a little blog about it too, if anyone's interested in going all the way. Yeah, that's a great idea, though. I Now, see, I love that idea. And that would be great if someone invited me to do that. But I I was, while, I, while you were gone, while you were in the Upside Down, I was talking about how I very much admire voice actors because I can't right. do a voice. I, I am the least intimidating person. If I tried to sound intimidating, it, you would laugh. So, oh, no. <laughs> I don't well, think I, I can play a villain. Oh, no. See, 
Yeah, because you're playing live games, aren't you? Right, mm -hmm. all the time. I mean, I, I only have one or possibly two live games a week. The rest of my stuff's on Zoom or yeah. something like that. Um, but one of my players actually downloaded a voice changer. Um, so that I have for been looking life, into that. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. So it, it's so it's like it's an app on the phone, free, or uh, yeah. you probably can run it on your phone actually. But he has like a soundboard. Yeah. Um, so he ended up not using it because it didn't play well or play nicely with Zoom. Okay. Um, so you're going to have to do some testing and find something that works. And also there's a subscription, at least for the one that he was using. So yeah, you know, consider it. But there are ways and means. If you're not a voice actor, there are ways and means of getting around it. Yeah. Um, I'll, look, you know. I'll look more into that. I had I had given up on it because same thing. Like, A, I don't necessarily want to pay for it. And then I don't want to pay for right. something and find out that it's crap. So I figured I was going to wait for the technology to come around. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. When we could do a review on it or something at some point. Yeah. Yeah. We could just do a whole show with our voices changed. <laughs> right. We could switch voices. <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. Well, so that's, 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 that's it for your solicited opinion, opinion huh? Yeah, pretty that much. Was awesome. Pretty much. Um, well, I don't know. It was, it was amusing. It was amusing. It was amusing. But it was, it was the, one of the most fun games I've ever been in as a player. Yeah. And what was cool is getting to be stride behind the scenes and planning how to deal with the player characters because uh, the DM, Steve, would give me feedback every week after their session to tell me what they did. And uh, then I'd tell him what I felt Strad would do yeah. um, in response to that. So I had like an NPC spider that had climbed in one of their um, bags and was like literally just reporting back everything they did. Wow. Um, you know, and stuff like that. I had spies everywhere and I was, I ran that show. <laughs> oh man, that gets me no thinking idea. like, I maybe that's what I need to do is I need to bring in another player to be my, my BBEG when they start getting really close. That could be fun. I need right. someone. I, actually, I was going to say, maybe that's you, because I need someone who can be sadistic. <laughs> so, oh, you, you saying I can be sadistic? Oh, I don't know. Pretty oh. sure you can be. <laughs> yeah, I could be sadistic. Um, right. Certainly in the game. I'm, I'm much less of a sadist in, in real life, to be oh, honest. Yeah. Uh, I, I really struggle with it, but uh, <laughs> I've tried. But you have. you can carry the the voice you can carry the mannerisms i think of of a bbg right. so fair enough well i appreciate that I'll, i'd give it a go if there's a way to do it yeah we'll talk more about that yeah. all right folks so all issues aside we are at the point in our show where we're gonna take a quick break uh you guys want to stick around though because our featured band tonight is vampires everywhere i always take a little like sneak peek at the music video because i just want to know what we're in for and right. i think i've mentioned this before when there's a lot of drums and it's just a heavy it's heavy I, and i oh i just love it it's juicy so um plus i recognize this song and so for those of you who um will remember a very popular vampire movie back in the I'm I'm thinking it was probably the 90s um you're gonna enjoy this song so stick around for the break and we also have more music parody from Arcane Anthem we have our deception checks with Michael Riley I think I might yeah, I might tell us what which which 90s movie it was or is that's the surprise let's come back from the break and we'll see 
if anybody in the chat knows what that movie is or if you know what that movie is um and that or i'm sure it was probably in other movies too but there's one very particular one that is a vampire movie you will recognize it um so watch the break folks because you're going to enjoy it we have some bad lip reading and then we will come back and we will talk about vampires and vampire the masquerade all right everybody have a good break we'll see you in a little bit Security, how may I help you? Uh, hello, your your agency was procured to defend us from evil last night, and do you know what happened? Uh, no. We suffered a raid last night. You promised us warriors, and you sent us cowards. They fled their post. Okay, they you- left us to be burned out of our homes, right? By a vile beast. Okay, so- Winged, I think. I can go ahead and take your information and have someone give you a call back. Perfect. I am Lord Aldor, and I demand a full refund of the entire 450. We can negotiate the terms, but we do prefer gold, as we paid, coins if possible, an additional 150 to repair the village. What is your uh, company name? Yes, we are from Ermum, the village of Ermum. Or the village of Birth the Fuck Down because of your services. Yeah, I, ma'am, I? Madam, if, if we had ordered a dragon, would you have sent me a mouse? May I have a callback number? Yes. Eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine, five, one, three, area code. Now, if we do not get retribution, with this dastardly deed, we shall arrive at your gates by dawn to lay siege. Are you prepared? Okay, I have your information. I can go ahead and send it over. I have a callback number of 513-857-5309. Yes. And what's okay. your name? All right. My name is Tasha. Tasha, I very much appreciate you. know, you've been very helpful, and I do appreciate everything that you're doing. No problem. You have a great rest of your evening. I'm sorry. I do have one more question. Yes, sir. Would you be willing to move to Ermum and we can use you to help us rebuild? We're desperate. Uh, no, thank you. But you, no, thank you. But you go ahead uh, and have a nice evening. Goodbye. No, good. Goodbye.
You don't know how much I want to go and lift. What will help you, buddy? I need to wear one of my thongs. Will you get it for me? So I'm in a diaper. You want the plaid one? That'd be good. Or wait, there's a one with the diamonds. Those are not diamonds. Well, they decorate everything good. I don't like your face. Hmm. You got horrible zoo hands. And you have the record for frowning. I want some lettuce. You ever just want to have a centipede, you know, in your pocket just in case you wanted to eat it? Why would I do that? Like, that's just... Because you'd like it? It's um, really weird. Suntan, that's what you need. He's right. I'm ready to sing. Jimmy Jam, I find my jigger. I don't speak French. I believe he said we should all make out. I thought that we just did. Hey, you know what? I have jeggings for my pelican. Wait, did what? Huh? It just said. Huh? Me. If I ever become a cannibal, I'm gonna eat a fat fellow. I think you're sick. Her said a bad thing to me. I just don't feel your huh? need, dude. Oh. Huh? <laughs> huh? I want to address my wart, the one on my knee. You see, I want to just shear it off and then keep it. Maybe tuck it in a tray or a decorative box and no one could find it. It'd be a secret, hidden away like my frisbee and my Grover mask. What? Um, there was like... The wart man. Was he wearing a hat? <laughs> Keep calm. Go to sleep. What do you need? Can you find me a drummer? No, but I can find a loser. Come on, I'm a star. Well, then where is your gold suit? Uh, it got like hair on it from this Rasta guy on the bus. I mean, I'd probably look totally incredible in it, but it was really just, uh, Making me sick, man. But I brought you something. It's the tissue I just used to blow my nose. And it's still wet. Mm-hmm. Can you train a pig? To do what? Like harm my grandpa? And grandmama? Uh, you're looking for an assassin pig? Maybe. Dude, they're not something you can, like, purchase at the mall. You do realize that a pig doesn't really have human hands what bingo <laughs> pig remember dragons are great in several ways they guard the magic cloak and i will find this cloak then i will hide out in the street in plain sight then i'll go find you a new fishy okay i don't know this song i'm not feeling it but it's got this that thing's stupid not my fault. Hey, you want to, like, play that word game? Okay. Okay, you go first this time. Okay, um... Bloated baby feet. Uh, bean fork. Human litter box. 
hobo tear. Dude, that one doesn't work. Okay. Come on, last one. Nut scratcher. Mm, that's a gross one. Sorry, I win. <laughs> Dang it. I just hit the cat. And all because I can't look or I throw things. A bonk makite. Great, you're just in time. Check this out. I hate this moss book. It's a stupid gift from a friend. My friend who's a loser. Right here. Yeah. Take this and burn it. So what the heck, bro? No, 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 bro? don't use that tone. Oh, he's no. such a sweet. Oh, 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 I'm to tell this. everyone that y'all never at SeaWorld. Yeah, that's right. You guys. Because I was doing crunches. Uh, Teen Wolf, Lestat, just chill. Choo-choo-choo. He's a meanie. He just hurt my feelings. Also, he hurt my skin. And, 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 he, and he gets poor grades. from the break all right so uh hopefully you guys enjoyed that video because it was awesome it's a really good song i think i saw a few folks in the chat talking about it uh yeah. including myself <laughs> and me i was there yeah so uh did you recognize the song or the movie that oh, it came from yes okay i figured as much that's why i was like i'm not gonna say it's it's widely recognized so right. Anyway, it was a I'm great. Not, hopefully, we don't get like a strike for that one. Actually, copyright strikes. You it know, was hopefully, different enough that it shouldn't. Uh, yeah, I guess. I. I mean, that's. I'm gonna. That. That's Josh, our CEO. He's in charge of that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. as far as I know, we get permission, and they send us videos, and you know. But right. yeah, because it's a cover. Things before, so yeah. we'll be good. We'll, we'll be, be good. fine. We'll be fine, everybody. Yeah. yeah. I love that mug, by the way. That is a great mug. Thank you. Thank you. You know, actually, I think it was like the first episode that I had it on. Um, right. Somebody commented in the chat, where do I get it? And I, you know, being live on the stream, I'm like, I'm going to try to find this right now. And I was struggling. I found some that are like very similar, but not quite exactly the same. And then right. lo and behold, Josh listening to the stream was like, bing, here it is, folks. Here's the link. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh -huh. so, thank you. Perfect. Yeah. And ever since then, I'm like, I, now it's like a good luck thing. I have to have it on the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I need, I need a D and D mug. I need, I, yeah. That's get, what I need. get you a yeah. D and D mug or a tusk or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yes. Yes. A horn, drinking horn. Perfect. All right, folks. Well, we are at the part of our show where we're going to talk about the thing that we've been wanting to talk about, which is vampires and the, actual thing yeah vampire the masquerade which is what i really want to hear about because i've been talking you know russell's been on the show for a while now and so far if you're you know a regular you know that he is very well versed in vampire the masquerade it's something i well, have no experience in and so i am dying to get into it I, I think the first thing i should say about it is that uh, whilst i've played it for a very very long time mm -hmm. i am 
definitely not a super lawkeeper and and uh, you know kind of uh, rules lawyer for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, to be honest, the th- the thing about the game Vampire is it's very clear in there. It's it's very clear that you run the game how you want to run it. Mm-hmm. And we've been playing it on and off for decades now, like thirty years, something like that. And so how every group evolves kind of differently and take on board more or less of the rule set um, and more or less of the law. And, and the thing for me is like when it, when it first came out, um, I had this book, Vampire the Masquerade. This is first edition, I think. This is not even my first copy of it. This is like my third version of this book. Wow. Um, and because people keep stealing them. Um, so, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So put it under lock and key. They're really cheap secondhand. The, the second and first edition books, uh, and V twenty, which is the twentieth year uh, version of it. What was it? The the anniversary version is right. probably the most compact uh, contained of that version of the game. Um, now we have Vampire the Masquerade fifth edition, which comes in a boxed set, like so. Uh huh. Um, and it's quite fuck off. But that being said, it's a beautiful I don't run it. I don't really use it. Um, I, I've been through it. I've, I'm still reading some of it. It's huge. Um, it's it's trying to be in competition with 5th edition D&D, I think. And it's right. kind of become a bit commercial. I'm not that happy with it. There's some good ideas in there, but they have literally stripped out some of the most useful and cool things from the, the original game. Right. Um, so I, I'm a little bit disappointed with it in some ways, but there's some good ideas in there. Um, but in my experience, and, and this is still part of my preface to what we're going to talk about, um, everything that I say is is very much my opinion and from my experience of playing it my way. So it's not necessarily what your experience of playing the game is. Um, in fact, it's likely that it's not, um, because, for example, when I started playing, we didn't have all of these weird-ass bloodlines and stuff that have come in over the years as they've added to it, you know. Mm-hmm. They started off with one book, and then there was another book, and then another book, and another book, and another book. And, you know, you didn't even buy all of them. You'd just get the books that were kind of cool or relevant to you. Right. Um, and you wouldn't really include stuff that you didn't like. You didn't mm. have to. Nobody, there was no obligation to do that. Groups were very small back in those days, and and it works well with two or three players. This game, it's, it's that's probably the peak size of a, of a group, um, or maybe four. They're kind of like D and D in a way. But I was going to say, let me take... interject. So, does that mean that at a certain point, like there's too many players to play this? Like like six would maybe be too many. You think? I mean, look, you could play with six players. I have played with six players, um, and it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the story, you you know, the thing is, you become you're catering to more and more people, and the story gets more and more watered down mm-hmm. um, in that respect. And it's very much a role playing game. It's it's built from the ground up as a role playing game. Now, cons- consider this fact: Dungeons and Dragons, which is the world's greatest role playing game, and also the first role playing game. Um, <laughs> The thing about D&D is it comes from a wargaming heritage. Right. Right. It started with battle maps and figurines. And funnily enough, the weird thing is that that kind of went on for a little while. And then they went, oh, we're going to do, you know, a certain amount of theater of the mind type of stuff. Now, they didn't have that term. 
the term theater of the mind literally comes from vampire the masquerade these guys invented it that yeah. phrase is something they invented and now and now dnd is using and dnd players are using ubiquitously and they don't even know where it comes from and i find that ironic but hey <laughs> what are you gonna do um so yeah um my my story my game my game world of, of the world of darkness trademark tm world of darkness tm um my version of it uh, does not include a bunch of different bloodlines it does not include certain things um and i often i prefer to run it in the year 1999 which is when i was playing it at its peak that's a um, good year <laughs> right because it, it, it's really paranoid. Yeah. Um, 1999 was a it was a great year for, for playing vampire. Yeah, Y2K was about mm -hmm. to happen. Everyone was waiting for the apocalypse. We were all sitting around, you know, freaking out, waiting for that to happen. Yeah. And in the Vampire the Masquerade kind of meta plot, uh, they were waiting for essentially Armageddon, which they called Gehenna, mm -hmm. um, which according to the law of the world, in, at Gehenna, all of the ancient vampires are going to rise up and call forth all of their children and drink their blood. Um, and there's also the story that Cain himself, Cain being the first vampire who was, you know, murdered his brother Abel in the Garden of Eden, according to law, um, and was cursed to be the first vampire and wander the lands of Nod forever. No, um, wait, so okay, I just want to make sure I understand. So the, the whole Cain thing, that is actually part of vtm lore because i've seen yes. it in like a yes. movie i've seen it in other things so i yes, just want to make sure i understand it's I'm actually pretty sure okay. vampire the masquerade if not the first was among the first to use that concept okay um That's and really it's cool. very much part of the lore in fact i can probably pull out of my ass uh, <laughs> some sort of table here um, yeah, I, I have a list of questions prepared, but I, I, I might okay. interject in the middle of anything you're saying because I want to make sure I'm grasping it. No, no, that's fine. Um, but I'm so excited so, to learn about this. Yeah, I mean, the, the question is where to start and what to talk about, really. But right. very, I mean, briefly, the history of how, how do vampires exist? Nobody is absolutely sure. The vampires themselves don't know. It's kind of like... Um, interview with a vampire in that yeah. respect certainly at the beginning before they meet the other old vampires but mm -hmm. the, the idea is that the vampires don't know where they come from and there's no proof of anything okay um all they know is that they're immortal they're fucking hard to kill they have to drink blood um and they have certain bloodlines and powers that come from their bloodlines yeah so uh different bloodlines have different powers different. and those bloodlines are kind of called clans in this game okay. um yeah so do you have any questions so far no what but i do want to make a statement i like that they don't i mean considering that they're immortal so their lifespans yeah. are i mean immortal until they're killed but i mean you know their lifespans are long enough that they, it i guess i would think that they should know their history but i do like that they don't that they because i don't know for me that is is relatable as a human uh right and right. i don't know yeah i like the air of mystery yeah. The, the thing, okay, so there's a number of major different major conflicts. As we know, conflict is drama, and that's what's sort of core of storytelling and role playing games for me. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the main core dramas of this game is there's a conflict between the elders and what they call the anarchs, um, and the anarchs are essentially young vampires, new fledgling vampires, modern vampires, especially anybody older than sort of a hundred years could be considered an elder. 
Mm -hmm. um, and then there's elders go beyond that. You get like uh, different types of elders, ancillae, and then you eventually get all the way up to Methuselahs. Um, and a Methuselah is like a, a fourth generation vampire that might be three or four thousand years old. Wow. Um, so, and then, you know, named after Methuselah from the Bible who didn't age or some shit like that or lived, lived for thousands of years, I think. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there's there are these different phrases. There's so much in terms of like the lexicon and what have you. Here we go. Here's the this is the table. It starts with Cain. Um, OK. I don't know if you can see that. No, not, I mean, I can see that there's text there, but I can't read it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So there's there's like a whole thing that covers the different generations um, and the generations in the original version. Uh, they go all the way up to 14 and 15. And the thing is, like, once you get past about 10th generation, the vampires start to become very weak as the blood, the blood gets watered down okay. over a time. It gets less and less um powerful so you end up with uh thin blood vampires and that they call gehenna or armageddon um the time of thin blood it's among the prophecies of gehenna um so the thing for me as i was saying earlier is that i i developed my own world the first the first book came out and i started role playing and yeah. our campaign went on for like 12 years that's um, impressive so it was a huge campaign but because it wasn't a broken campaign and it was always with the same players i never needed to or wanted to or had any inclination to include certain things that they started releasing later mm -hmm. the, like for example they talked about gehenna in the first book but they didn't tell us much about it so i came up with my own version of it because i just used the one little paragraph in the whole book that said anything about it at all and extrapolated upon that right which i did with numerous different things clans bloodlines and so on i extrapolated from the original book and created my version of the world of darkness then they started publishing more books and those books would extrapolate upon those things too but they would go in a different direction Right. So every group that did this ended up with their own version of the world. Um, so imagine if, you know, if in D&D &D they mentioned Strad and, and uh, Barovia, but they didn't tell you anything much about it. Yeah. And you went, fuck, that's a great idea. I'm going to do this thing. And you created your own Strad and your own Barovia. And then two years later, they released the Curse yeah. of Strad. You go, fuck. God yeah. damn it. The that's not that's how I envisioned him. <laughs> that's not how I, yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what happened to me. And mm -hmm. the truth is I still prefer my own version, partly because I know it. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big part of it. But also I just prefer my own aesthetics. That's you know kind of natural, I think. Most people yeah. would feel that way. Yeah. Um, and because my aesthetics are fucking cool, goddammit. Um, <laughs> it's really, uh, I mean, I, I, I run a pretty dark game and it's pretty, and it's vampire, it should be dark. It's, yeah. it's gothic horror. Um, and curiously enough, on the back of the original book, it says a, a storytelling game of personal horror. Yeah. Right? Um, but if you look at the, uh, let me get out one of these huge fucking, oh my God, there's three <laughs> of them. Um, where is it? So is that so the ver no, their version of like the uh, the player's handbook, the DM's guide, and the? Yeah, well, kind of, kind okay. of. This this is the main core book of the fifth edition, okay. uh, which pretty much is the new version of that. Um, and this book has on the back of it instead of 
a storytelling game of personal horror. It's personal and political horror. Um, ah. Ah, fair enough. Okay. okay. So they've changed it a little bit. Um, the artwork in this book is, it's all very shiny, glossy type stuff. Um, this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is nice. You know, it's cool. It's not mm -hmm. bad. Um, but I don't think it's really as cool as, I mean, the first book has a mixture of art in it. Some of it's not that great, um, but some of it's fucking amazing. Um, like, I mean, I think that is. Oh, there's a little bit of a glare, but yeah. Okay. I you see get it. that? You yeah. can see that? It's, that's freaking cool. Yeah. Um, and they don't have that style in the new books. They've gone with this full color kind of thing. Um, stuff like this. Yeah. Um, it's all black and white. Uh, it's kind of grungy. Grunge. Really, yeah. yeah. Kind of grungy, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I love the aesthetics of the original stuff, but it is very 90s, and maybe that's just a, I'm a product of my time. So, right. you know, what, what can I say? I can't get around that. Um, yeah. So that's my kind of preface to everything. It's like I have my preferences. I have my prejudices. I'm aware of them. Um, and I'm making you aware of them so that we can have a meaningful conversation. Yes. Um, basically. <laughs> Without anyone going, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, ask any questions that you might have. Did you want to? Well, I just want to lead in. I mean, I'm assuming that our viewers know at least a little bit about what Vampire the Masquerade is. But just in case, um, I've been learning from Russell throughout the past several shows that we've talked about it that um, it's. Uh, Whereas D&D is, we say D&D is a role-playing game, really Vampire the Masquerade is much more a role-playing game than D&D is. And right. I, just before we get into this, there is a video that um, Matt Colville, which I know you're a fan of, he just put out recently about the right. game. And he talks about this, how D&D is like, it's like they're trying to make it feel like you can do all these different genres with D&D, but really hmm. like... Vampire the Masquerade is its own genre and it's tailored for right. this, like role playing, right. whereas D&D isn't really tailored for anything. It's right. kind I of mean, this wide genre that we're making things fit into it. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's, it's yeah. this kind of cardboard cutout, kind of everything fits inside, one size fits all kind of thing. It's the McDonald's right. of D&D, of yes. role playing games. Yes. Vampire the Masquerade is built from the ground up to be a role playing game. Yeah. by people who have studied theater and storytelling and acting and stuff like that. So they, the mechanics of the game are rooted in storytelling, not wargaming, right? Right. So they didn't start from the premise of it's a war game. Let's see if we can turn it into individual characters. They started from the premise of it's a storytelling game. Let's see if we can give it some mechanics to facilitate the storytelling, mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, to, to me, okay, so here's, Here's the most basic part of the original game. Now, mm -hmm. and the thing I say about this is because it's part of the original game, they literally stripped this out of fifth edition, and I am still completely blindsided by this this fact. Like this to me, this was the most important element of the whole game, and they just took it out. So in the original game, when you made a character, you would start off with by choosing or <clears throat> creating two archetypes for your character the first one was your nature and the second one was your demeanor so your nature was who are you really who what's your core character concepts archetype 
So right. it might be, uh, you know, it might be director or architect or caregiver or uh, sociopath or something like that. Um, and then so you, and you would choose two of these archetypes for basically from the same list. There was a big list and you could add your own ones. You can make up your own ones they published new lists after a while as well that you could add to. So there's tons of them to choose from. Um, and so you would have one archetype for who you really are and your demeanor. So nature and demeanor, your demeanor was who you portray yourself as. Right. Right. So as I think it's just a great. Like, I don't know if that's considered a mechanic, but just the descriptions right. already for someone right. who, who enjoys role play, that is so communicative of how right. you would role play your character, just having two words. Right, right. two words. And they, they are mechanical because you have the, the next most important. Well, first of all, I'm going to wrap up on, on, on nature and demeanor because that's important. Um, your nature and demeanor, the advice given and the advice I give to players is to don't just choose two that are very similar to each other or even two that are the same because mm -hmm. you can. Um, choose ones that have vast polarity mm -hmm. so that your character has internal conflict and you can, you can see character arcs and transformations then. If you choose a character, for example, uh, you might have a character that has nature, child, mm -hmm. demeanor, architect. Yeah. So you're trying to control everything, but when you break down, you're really a child. Underneath yeah. it all, you're really a child. And so you've got something to play against. There's a, there's a polarity, there's tension inside that character concept. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting to watch and to play. If there's no tension, it's 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 you know it's much more flat kind of experience, and that's not so exciting. Yeah. Um, so that, that's your nature and demeanor, and why they're important. Beyond that, mechanically speaking, the next most important mechanic is willpower. Um, so you have willpower points up to a maximum of ten. Now, your during the course of a game session, you can spend willpower points to affect dice rolls. It works a bit like inspiration. It's a lot like inspiration, except instead of having one inspiration that you can spend or not spend at, with a maximum of one in D&D 5e, you can have up to 10 willpower points, depending on your actual maximum willpower, which depends on some other stats. Mm -hmm. um, conscience and self-control, I think, is the stats that it's based on. Um, so your willpower, oh no, that's your humanity. What am I talking about? <laughs> anyway, I'll come back to that. Um so when you spend a willpower point, you gain success at a certain action that you're trying to do. So how do you get willpower back? Mm -hmm. Well, you get it back by playing to your nature or your demeanor. Okay. And when you choose your nature and demeanor, you and your DM negotiate um, certain actions that kind of prove that you've played to your character. Okay. But show that you, in fifth edition um they have a slightly different mechanic where they describe how uh you have to for example feed off a certain type of person or achieve a certain goal or uh protect a certain character or something like that that will give you willpower back um i think what they were doing is they were providing a bunch of cardboard cutout versions of the same thing mm -hmm. that were easier for players to probably just pick up and use without having to think about it right whereas in fifth in first edition and so on um you did have to kind of negotiate the idea out understanding what nature and demeanor meant and mm -hmm. and utilizing those archetypes to create your character's 
in a conflict, there was more to it and you had to work harder, um, but the results were yours and more powerful. They, they, you knew how they worked because you created them. Um, Whereas the new ones, I don't know. I don't think they're they're anywhere near as good really, but anyway, that's okay. That's, that's just, that's my opinion. That's my unsolicited opinion. Um, so willpower is pretty important to the game and, you know, the idea is sort of described that as you lose willpower, you kind of, you, you're getting, you feel tired. You don't feel like you, you can achieve this. You don't, your optimism begins to drop. You, your ability to get out of bed in the morning, so to speak, is, is going down. Uh-huh. Whereas when you have high willpower, you feel like you can do anything. You might as well oh, yeah. be on crack, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of the gist of willpower. Um, so then you have a blood pool. And we discussed generation a little bit earlier. Generation is, um, so, okay, so Cain was the first generation vampire. He's the original, right? Mm -hmm. And he created the second generation of vampires. um, And there was only like a couple of them, two or three. Um, And then those vampires created the third generation vampires, whom we call the antediluvians, um, because they're from before the flood. Okay. And so the antediluvians, they decided they didn't like the second generation, their sires, we call them sires. Um, so they rose up against their sires and killed them. Not only did they kill them, but they drank their blood. This is an act that we call diablery. Um, and in diablery, um, especially in the original version of the game, when you drink the blood of a vampire that has a lower generation than you, lower being more powerful, right. um, you gain that generation. So you gain like additional power? You, or? Okay, so okay. your generation affects a number of things. It is, yeah. The first thing it affects is how much blood you can contain in your body. That's okay. called your blood pool. So your oh, blood okay. pool goes up um, exponentially too. So like a, a low generation vampire, like a, put it this way, a eighth generation vampire can hold 15 blood points. Uh-huh. A 13th generation vampire I think can hold 10. Okay. So it's quite a big difference but when you get down to like fourth generation and third generation we're talking about like 50 blood points so it's not just how much blood but it's how economical it is within the body as well because your body okay. doesn't get bigger you just contain more blood um in a, in a more condensed version i suppose okay. so there's a little bit of mind jiggery to go on there but okay works. is the opposite true where like if you drink a vampire's blood that's of a higher number that it's gonna like poison you or do anything no. like that no? no okay but you okay so there is a thing called a blood bond though okay. um if you drink the blood of another vampire um and again, this is in the original rules. It was left a little bit mysterious. They didn't nail down every detail. Uh-huh. And I love that about it. So you could interpret this how you wanted as a DM. But right. in the original rules, if you drank the blood of another vampire on three separate occasions over three different nights, you would become blood bound to them. Okay. And being blood bound meant that you couldn't act against them. You couldn't hurt them. You couldn't do anything to them and in fact you would experience feelings of love towards that character um and this makes for great storytelling right right can there's I... all sorts of shit you can do with blood bonds um can besides... i interject real quick and ask yeah. have you seen the movie renfield yet oh no not yet I oh man that would have that would have been so per- it's it's entertaining i mean it's a nicholas cage movie you know and right. 
we've talked about my love for Nicolas Cage, but um, (laughs) it's just, it's very interesting because you mentioned this whole thing where like, so you can have a blood bond with someone and can you, you can have a blood bond with someone and not necessarily like them, but you won't Mm. act against them is the way I'm understanding that. You could exactly Okay. Exactly. And then the the other aspect of that is you may or may not know that you are blood bound to them. You know, there's plenty of characters that have no idea. I think your next date night with Helen, you're going to be watching it because she just said that she's been trying to get you to watch it. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's funny. Sorry. Go ahead. She has. She has been trying to get me to watch it. Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll do it. We'll do it. Download (laughs) it. We'll we'll watch it. That'll be fun, actually. We'll report back next week. Yeah, we'll report back next week. Okay, so blood bonds are quite important, um, and generation is pretty important. Blood pool is super important because you use blood to fuel your disciplines. Mm -hmm. Your disciplines are your basic powers, right? Uh Um, And different clans have different disciplines. Each clan has three disciplines that they start with or can start with. You don't have to take all of the three disciplines from your clan and some of them cross over so there are certain disciplines that multiple clans have and some disciplines that i call um trophy disciplines that belong to clans specific clans um i call them that the greater world of vampire players probably has a different name for it now because there's so many books but that's what i call them trophy disciplines um and like for example clan gangrel has a discipline called protean which allows them to turn into wolves and bats and grow wolf claws and turn into mist and meld into the ground and they're very kind of werewolfy kind of characters okay um, so does that mean there are werewolves in the game or that's are there right. is that separate okay so that is a thing okay, so <laughs> the, game, the game vampire the masquerade is one of many games produced by white wolf game studio originally now they're owned they've, they've been through multiple owners i can't even keep up with what's going on with them. right um, you can look it up it's it's a complicated chain of li- litigation and bullshit um but in any case uh the world of darkness tm is where all of these games exist or most of them exist so there's vampire the masquerade Werewolf the Apocalypse, okay. Mage the Ascension, okay. um, Mummy the something. Uh, oh, there's wow. fair, there's a fairy game. So there's a whole universe. There's okay. a whole universe. Okay. Now I have to be honest with you. I, most of them shit. Okay. Uh, I've haven't played. A, in fact, I haven't actually played most of them. They, I, I, actually, you know what? I'm taking that back. I completely take that back. In their own right, they're probably quite good, but the fact that they're all set in the same universe means that every other man and his dog is either a werewolf or a mage or a mummy or a ghoul or a vampire or and now we're living in monster world like yeah are there any humans in this world you know what do people feed on what's going on so for me personally i don't run any of those games i only run masquerade because i want my game to feel like there is this one really weird anomaly yeah and it's vampires yeah that's it that's it. That's and that's enough because I think and, so. And further, right. And further to that, I I only run the core clans from the original books rather than all of the other bloodlines because basically for the same reason, each one of the original clans is extremely archetypal, and once you get into things like I don't know the Bali and the Asamites and all of these other weird ass clans. Um, they start getting watered down. They, they start becoming combinations of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's and a melting which, pot. 
they're not really pure kind of archetypes anymore. And if you want to learn about the human condition, which to me, that's what storytelling is about. Um, you want to play archetypes. That's where it's at. That's yeah. you, you can drill down into them. Don't go wide, go deep. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion again. So yeah. anyway, there, there you go. Um, <laughs> so as for werewolves, no, in my game, I have used werewolves rarely, extremely rarely. And even then I kind of redlined them and went, you know what? I didn't really like that. Um, but we have Gangrel, Clan Gangrel to me. They're vampires that turn into wolves. Mm -hmm. That's basically a werewolf. I mean, that's good enough. That explains the werewolf myth. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And each clan has kind of uh, an angle on the werewolf myth. Okay. So, or sorry, the vampire myth, I mean to say. Okay. So there's like one clan that you can't can't see themselves in mirrors. There's one clan that's beautiful, one clan that looks ugly like the Nosferatu or like, you know, yeah. in fact, they're called Nosferatu and their sire, their pro progenitor was called Nosferat. Um, okay. So, so the ones that like, can't see themselves in the... So it's not like all vampires can't see themselves in the mirror, only yeah. that only one. Only clan Sombra can't see themselves in the mirrors. Okay. Cool. Or or be seen in mirrors. They don't have reflections. Okay. Um, so yeah. So each clan um, kind of has their own identifying um, features and limitations. Right. Exactly. Okay. And they also, I mean, the, what, one of the things that I liked about uh, the, the original books too is once you get into the clan, it gives you a list of, um, say for example, this is Clan Tremere. Mm -hmm. um, now they're the wizards and warlocks of the vampire game. Um, and it, on, on the page describing the Tremere, it gives you a little box here that gives, within it is a list of the clans. And it tells you how they see the other clans. Yeah, that's which great. Which I think is really cool, right? And then, so every clan has a list of clans with a description of what the, the that clan's stereotyped ideas of the other clans are. Yeah. Very quickly, you start to see so much more about what their interactions are and how they work together. And it's a great idea for DMing with factions or NPCs of any sort in any game. Um, having a clear idea of how they see the other factions is super important, not just what they do and what their opinions are. Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah, what do we got? We got like fucking, I think there's five or seven main clans, depending on how you count them and who you include. And then you end up with a bunch of others. <clears throat> the other thing is you have, um, okay, so after after willpower and blood points, your next most important stat is humanity. Mm -hmm. Now, humanity is super important because there is, on the back of, of the book, it says, uh, a beast I am, lest a beast I become. Um, and the idea there essentially is you have to, drink blood to stop yourself from drinking blood yeah right? okay yeah because you need to feed you you're a vampire you are literally a vampire and and you are a monster um and your core um inner conflict besides mm -hmm. your nature and demeanor but the sort of next tier of conflict is your inner conflict against the beast the beast is a thing in this game um <clears throat> now what happens is you have your blood pool, you spend blood doing things, casting or using disciplines, 
um, over time and your blood pool goes down as you do those things. And every day that you wake up, you lose a blood point anyway. So you automatically lose one blood point every day that you, every night, I should say. So you have to at least feed once a day. Is well, what you can no. feed every three or four days as long okay, as you okay. fed enough to cover that ah. th those three or four days, right? So you could yeah. you could let your blood pool drop and then top it all the way back up again. But you, the more you drink, the more chances there are that you're going to frenzy, too. So it's complicated. Okay. Um, so you, as as your blood pool goes down, the chances of you frenzying goes up. Okay. Right? And frenzy you generally lose any memories of what you've done. The DM takes control of your character. Most of the time you wake up amongst a pile of corpses covered in blood. Right. Um, right? <laughs> you just went and on a bender. Corpses, right. Those corpses <laughs> could be anyone. They could be your friends. They could be your family. They could wow. be your, you know, uh, police, whatever. It could be anything. It could be anyone. Yeah. Um, so if you frenzy, is really bad news um, because – First of all, you're going to lose humanity. Every time you frenzy, there's a big chance that you're going to lose a dot of humanity. And when your humanity gets to zero, um, you basically become an NPC. Yeah. Um, and the vampires, in, in one of the good ideas from 5th edition, I have to say there are some good ideas in there. One of their ideas is they have a name for a character that has zero humanity. They call them a white, like ah. as in the whites from D&D, whites. Right. Um, and these are mindless zombie vampires that just kill, kill, kill yeah. until they are put down. It's just and like instinct be. only. Yeah. Yeah. They're totally instinct, animalistic yeah. creatures. And the vampires of the, of the kindred society must put them down. They can't survive. And one of the reasons for that is uh, you'll, you'll notice that on the, on the cover of the book, it says uh, the masquerade. Mm -hmm. Um well, that's because that's their first tradition. Um, the traditions, let me see, I have a I have a tab open here somewhere. Where's it gone? Well, while Where's you're looking tab? for that, I just want to, I was laughing earlier because Upright Man said, uh, the, the clan that can't see themselves in the mirror, how do they put on their makeup? Um, right. That's funny. Well, they, you know, they, they have ghouls for that. Yes. Yeah. And then so, I was going to say, yeah, somebody commented ghouls and I, I didn't know what that meant. So I wanted to hear so, about okay. that. Well, seeing, I'll, I'll try and talk about things as they come up, but sure. a ghoul is a, okay. Say I'm a vampire. I have to sleep all day because okay. I can't survive in the daylight. And furthermore, in the game, Vampire the Masquerade, you have to make willpower checks every turn to stay awake when the sun is up. Really? So okay. You could feasibly get up for like 30 seconds to and defend to yourself, <laughs> right? You, somebody might break into your coffin in the middle of the day. Damn you, Jonathan Harker. Wow. Um, and then you fight off that fucking vampire slayer and kill them and go back straight back to sleep again because you, you, you just you totally can't. Yeah. You can't deal with it. It's uh, you, just daylight is a really bad effect. Mm -hmm. Not just daylight, but time of day. Um, and daylight itself, fire and sunlight do massive uh, types of damage. Now, first of all, better cover ghouls. Um, you, take a, you take a human, you feed them your blood, they are a ghoul, mm -hmm. right? You feed them your blood three times on three separate occasions, they are your blood-bound ghoul. Yeah. Right? Now you have a fucking servant who will mm -hmm. do anything for you. And because you've fed them blood, they can potentially learn disciplines from you, at least some of them, very low-level ones, not very powerful ones. Depending on how old the ghoul is, they can get more and more powerful over time. 
can feasibly have ghouls that are thousands of years old. Okay. Um, ghouls generally are very, very strong and they generally do not age. Um, as long as they get your blood once a month, they do not age. They, they just don't die. They, they, do, they look exactly the same. They don't change at all. Um, but if they miss one hit of blood mm -hmm. over one month, that will all catch up on them. Oh, wow. So right. like instant so, aging and like, instant yeah. Aging just Ooh. crumbled to pieces. Okay. Right. So uh, that's happened in games. Um, so, I mean, you can play a ghoul too. There's the, I had the book, um, I can't remember what it's called, Ghouls the fucking something. This was back in 2004 <laughs> or something, mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Jesus. So, yeah, um, those are ghouls. Um, ghouls are really useful. We also call them retainers because in Vampire we like to have a lot of etiquette involved in our storylines and so on and so forth, and thusly we use a lot of fancy words for things. Um, so we prefer to call ghouls retainers, especially in public, because of the first tradition, the masquerade. Right. Uh, the idea being that um, back in the Middle Ages and several times prior, humans rose up and tried to wipe out all the vampires. So now the vampires propagate this idea that there are no such thing as vampires. Yeah. Um, and anyone that breaks this first tradition is liable to blood hunt. Um a blood hunt is a kind of uh, hunt that cannot be called off. Once it's been called, you're dead. Someone's going to find you and put you down. And it's a um, vampire that's going to kill you, the vampire, right? Like these are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All of all the kindred will will chase you down and 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 kill you eventually, um, unless you're very very clever. There is, uh, so we have we have justicas, one justica for each clan, who is basically judge, jury, and executioner. Um, and they have archons who work for them. Um, these characters are immensely powerful vampires. Um, and you do not want to meet them, especially not on a dark night when you've done something wrong. Yeah. Um, because that's bad. Um, you can be staked in vampire. It's actually really hard to stake a vampire to get a stake to, unless they're asleep. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to get five successes um, with a melee attack with a stake to pierce it through their heart. And if you do, it does not kill them; it paralyzes them. Um, okay. So they become... I like that, though. I mean, could you imagine just playing a game and like have a one-shot kill? Right. Like that's yeah. <laughs> Even in D and D, I hate when there's one. You know, yeah. Absolutely, and I mean, in my I'm games, articulate tonight. <laughs> I've had players come up with cunning plans, like getting steel plates with straps and putting them over themselves so mm. they can't be staked easily, or wearing Teflon, or it's not Teflon. I mean. Uh, that bulletproof shit ballistic fucking yep. armor basically i can't think um, of the name either why is yeah my brain today <laughs> my oh, brain so... thought of velcro and i went that's not velcro, velcro. yes velcro <laughs> so they can stick to each other yes um that's that's a velcro bond mm -hmm. oh, ha, ha. um <laughs> oh, ha, ha. what else do we have okay so damage kevlar thank you uh kevlar. is that how you say your name i i don't know how to say your name i'm sorry i'm ludicrously ignorant um but yes kevlar so uh bloody blah what was i saying damage right so you have normal damage which is like the damage that you can so uh, this is one of the things i love in in the book in, in the, here's a character here's a character sheet right you'll see that it's got lots of 
columns with lists of skills and abilities and uh -huh. knowledge uh, sorry the talents skills and knowledges i'm reading this off the screen so i'm a little bit blind on it <laughs> um and then there's lists of these and they have dots after them right these circles and you fill them in as you go um and what you do is you take when you have to make a skill check you add one of these top level ones with one of these and the dm says make a dex and dodge check so you're taking your dexterity from up here and your dodge from down here adding together the number of dots that you've got and they all represent d10s then you roll all of those d10s together and every d10 that is above a six is a success okay right now skill may require success a certain number of successes like one or three successes and the dm can also alter the difficulty on the dice too so it might not just be a six it might be an eight you might have to get three eights on 5d10 or you might have to get you know okay. it might be a lot easier than that um and if your number of dots combined dex and dodge combined for example exceed the difficulty rating then you get an automatic success towards that thing right okay so that's basically how it works and if you if you spend willpower points you get to add dice or re-roll them um so some dms also let you just have automatic successes with willpower points i i do do that sometimes um i'm, I'm really flexible and fluid with the rules um there, there, there are rules in here for combat that include initiative and all of that stuff. I don't even use them. Um, I play in, in a way where, where I'm like, okay, who does what? Whoever's the squeaky wheel does the thing. And I move around between players and NPCs in what feels like the most cinematic, narrative-driven approach to the game. Mm -hmm. And nobody complains nobody's going oh but it's not fair but it was my turn next yeah you know um I, but i do look around the group and say you know has anyone missed a turn does anyone feel like they need to do something you know you're always checking in with the players right but um it's much more organic and less structured and much more flexible and players can do things that don't exist in the rules i mean you try doing that in D D, where you start you're like i want to i want to shoot my bow at his at his knee yeah, like, you know, you were saying about that before, and I thought that's interesting because that's hard to do that in D and D. Yeah, a lot of DM people say no, the mechanics do not allow for you to take targeted shots. Yeah, you can roll your twenty and blah blah blah. You know, and you can describe how you kill them thanks to Matt Mercer, but you can't really describe what you do to attack. Whereas right. in this game, you can be really specific about what you're doing. Right. Um, and it just that plays into the story because it's about the story. Um. Any questions so far? I mean, I have a ton of questions. So, okay, uh, at my DM brain, right? If I wanted to grab one of those, uh, the Masquerade books and read through yeah. it, how, like on a scale of one to 10, how difficult or easy do you think it is for someone like me who's never even played it to grasp how to run it? Very easy, because first of all, the first thing it says is you don't need these rules. Oh, well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> right and then after after that it says use them however you want yeah. and then it says here's some ideas for some guidelines for some rules and it, <laughs> that's, that's its approach to the whole thing is these are just all guidelines and you use them as and when you need them and you never get hung up on them 
Okay. Um, because if you do that, because the thing is, it's about it's about storytelling. It's about the pace and the and the narrative. So why would you? The, the, the rules are a crutch. You don't right. need them when when you need them. You don't rely on them or make the story, you know, kind of break the story to fit the rules. That that doesn't make any sense. So this is what I mean by it's built from the ground up for role playing and right. war gaming. These are two very different kind of objectives you know and dnd tries to kind of come this way and meet in the middle um you know and it, it does a remarkably good job of uh, being quite good at everything but not excellent at anything right you know and so and there's certain things that it's specifically kind of not very good at at all actually i mean i think the spell system and magic system in dnd is outrageously bad it's fucking terrible it's so complicated and unnecessarily so. The idea of spell slots and uh, is just stupid. And tracking all of it, yeah. And tracking all of that and spell slots and spell levels and like, okay, if you were going to create a game from the ground up, and then to be fair, Vampire doesn't really use this either, but if I was going to create a game from the ground up, I would be like, mana points, you spend three points, you cast a more powerful spell. Yeah. It's that you know and you get your mana points back by doing stuff um you can have mana resources that you can draw upon in any way that's yeah the whole other argument i want to get into that okay. so okay oh. so i have Go. another question okay so yeah. uh Shoot. for again i have to relate everything to D because that's where my experience is so um most new players i know like they go grab or new players or new dms grab a module like mines right. of fendel whatever 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 right, um right. so is there something like that for vampire the masquerade or is it like you just pick up the book read it and like now will you just play something you just figure it out make something up yeah there are things like that um okay. there's like okay so for the majority of the time that i've been playing vampire i have based i had a book called chicago by night it was like this thick it was a huge book um Sadly, it's also been stolen. But I have a PDF of it now, um, oh, which I paid for, <laughs> by the way, from from uh, what's that website called? Not, not DM Skill. Oh, uh, uh, Drive Through RPG. Drive, drive Through RPG. Yeah. Right. So Chicago by Night, in my opinion, is probably the greatest role playing resource ever that I have personally come across in any way shape or form it's old school now and it's it's aged a little bit the artwork's not that fantastic there's some of it's okay some of it's quite good actually but there's a lot of shitty artwork in there too because in those days they anyway long story um the thing about chicago by night you know what i might open this up in a pdf and show it to you if you can share screens uh, let me get the pdf out first so it'll take me a minute to do that but i'll keep talking while i'm doing it okay um, do, 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 because there's some really cool shit in here that dms especially really need to see um go by come on come on search results now, is this an actual, like, um, part of Modular. Vampire the Masquerade? Yes, it is. It is. Okay. Yes, it is. And they have, they have like, you know how in D&D &D you've got, like, Dragonlance and 
the Sword Coast and all of these different books. Mm-hmm. And in Vampire, they have like uh, Chicago by night, mm-hmm. Milwaukee by night, uh, LA okay. by night, London by night. Okay. Um, so those are their kind of modules or, or big kind of source books, if you like. Okay. And they also have some adventure books as well, but uh, I don't think they call them adventure books so much. Um, do, 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 do. Where is the book gone? KTM. KTM documents. Here we go. Hmm. Maybe not. No. Where are they? Do they have them? <laughs> okay, so. Uh, oh, okay. did you find it? I found it. All okay. right, so Chicago Chronicles. Um, okay, I have the PDF open, so I will share my screen. Um, can you see this? Uh, let me just transition. Make sure. Oh, that's it shows the wrong up. screen. Ha ha ha! It showed up for a second. There we go. I'll do it again. Um, that was literally the wrong thing. I want to share the PDF. PDF. Is it gone? This is fascinating, <laughs> folks. I know. <laughs> uh, PDF. It's not window. Well, maybe we can. Uh... Here we go. Here we go. Okay. I found it. Found it. Here we go. Okay. We Chicago go. Chronicles. Okay, All right. So let so... me make sure it is showing. Okay, folks, you should be able to see his screen now. Okay, so you're looking at the cover. That's Chicago by Night, um, and the artwork is from the sort of late '90s, so it's kind of blah. <clears throat> you know, um, we've got a bit of that's the back cover. Um, and that's that's an image of Prince Loden having a bit of a frenzy, actually. Uh, that's how I interpret it. It doesn't actually say that. This guy, Mark Reinhagen, who's the writer of Vampire the Masquerade, he's my Facebook friend, and I've spent many hours actually talking to him because he's a real person who exists that's in awesome. the world. And uh, he is so cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I've spoken to a few of the, the people that work on, on Masquerade over the years. Um, so, okay, what I'm going to show you, the most important thing, right, besides we have, like, all the sort of introductory stuff that tells you how to use the book and all the usual sorts of things, mood and setting, um, then it gives you sort of details about the city, and there's some maps in there, but then we get a timeline that go back to the early settlers all the way through the Great Fire of Chicago and all of this sort of stuff. And this is not that unusual for a, a role-playing source mm-hmm. book, right. if you like, um, and the chronology, basic stuff. And then we get into the neighborhoods and so on, and then we have our maps. And, of course, we now have Google Earth and, and sorry, uh, Google Maps and stuff. So I use Google Maps all the time when I'm playing. In fact, the, the whole group uses Google Maps. You can That's drop pins on it and shoot them. And you say, my haven is here, and I want to zoom in and look at it with Street View. You know, it's mm-hmm. fucking cool. Um, that sort of stuff. Now, Elysium, quickly, Elysium is holy ground, essentially, for vampires. You cannot fight an Elysium. Um, so that's where you go to meet, and that's where the prince often will meet people. Every city has a prince. The prince is usually the most powerful vampire in the city. Not necessarily. 
Um, and there's a council called the Primogen or Primogen Council who generally their power combined must kind of outweigh that of the prince in order to keep the prince in check um, because vampires are very Machiavellian creatures. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we get into the interesting stuff. So we're going to look at the characters. So these are some of the NPCs. And then we have their bloodline, mm -hmm. right? So you're looking at uh, the various bruja or bruja, depending on who's using the word. Uh, th this is one of the funny things I think is like phrases like this. This is obviously a Spanish word. Bruja means sorcerer in Spanish, I think, if I'm not totally ignorant and wrong. Um, and in Spanish, it's pronounced bruja. A lot of people can't say that or don't know that, so they call it bruja. So I meet vampire players all the time who pronounce it different ways. So mm -hmm. what I've chosen to do is to say that the elders pronounce it this way and the anarchs pronounce it this way and different groups of people and different characters use different pronunciations depending on who they are yeah. and who they're affiliated with. So that way I get to use all of the different pronunciations. Um, so we're going to go through here and look at briefly these NPCs, but they're listed by clan, which is useful, but coteries, this is the thing. Coterie is a word for like party, like a, like a group, right? Okay. Okay. So a group of vampires are called a coterie. Um, and this tells us how they're structured. And this was for me running the game for the first time, the most useful resource possible. Um, so we can see that Critias is wary of Tyler. Tyler desires his blood. Nikolai and Critias have mutual respect. Loden, Nikolai finds the Prince Loden to be a useful tool. Okay, so uh, this is like one big but... infographic that just shows what everybody's like motivations and yes, and yeah, yes. that's really helpful. Right, and then that's just that's just for the Primogen Council. Um, then there's a description. Then we have Loden's brood. And how they, these are all the vampires that Loden has personally created um, to help him rule the city. One of them, of course, is good old Al Capone. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? we can see that. <laughs> so, so Al Capone was a vampire. Well, he is a vampire. Or he is a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I play him as, I use Christopher Walken as my. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, so all of these characters have, for, when I'm running the game, they all have personalities and specific voices. I've spent many months practicing their voices at times. Mm -hmm. um, they're all different. Um, these are the Nosferatu, Clan Nosferatu. Their leader is Khalid. Um, we can see that, you know, they have, oops, how do we make this move? I need the hand tool or something. Anyway, so here we go. You can sort of see these these tables and these these things are, are really really useful. This is the most useful thing I've ever come across for figuring out how to run a campaign or a city. Because with this stuff, you can react to the players. Yeah, um, they can. You can open up the sandbox and let them do literally anything they want, and any character that they come across, you can react with this kind of knowledge. Yeah. This basis of understanding of what this tensegral web of NPCs does when the fly lands on the web. Yeah. Um, and how they are going to respond to that. Um, so they've all, all the NPCs have got pretty elaborate histories. This is the Chamir Chan. Uh-oh. No! 
We were doing so good, folks. Okay, if you still hear me, stick around. Oh, here we go. Okay, he's back. He's back. Hold on one second. You're back. Uh, however, you are not sharing your screen at the moment. Do you want to continue sharing your screen? Um, we don't need to, probably. Okay. That's probably enough. Okay. Um, uh vampire book itself actually might be fun but i'm just so glad that we didn't have to restart the stream and you you were able to come right back we were doing so yeah. good <laughs> and it was not your fault upright man <laughs> uh, okay so i do have a quick question now that you've mentioned these modules and there's like what is it um something uh, chicago by night london by night right. um yeah. so is it is it always modern settings with vampire or are there Oh, actually, um, I used to have, settings. right, there was Vampire the Dark Ages uh, was okay. another book. It had the same cover, but it was black with with a, a black uh, marble texture on top of it. Um, and so Vampire the Dark Ages was set sort of anything prior to the Renaissance, basically. Okay. Um, and it had rules and, and histories and, and how the clans were a bit different and because they've got their, their own timeline as to how the clans have all evolved over a period of time, over millennia. Um, so, yeah, you can play in the Dark Ages. There, I think there is a re Renaissance book for the game. Um, I'm pretty sure that somebody's got a Wild West version of it too, um, which would Vampires be pretty cool. Vampires in the West. I hadn't thought about that. Right? I, those that are two things I don't really think I connect, but that I, I almost now want to, to, to play if that. If you think about it, they, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can see how they do yeah. well you know one of the things i love about the game actually my friend barry for example uh he he was very severely disabled and for him he used this as an opportunity to learn and practice reading to do an awful lot of research um every character that he made he would look up the period that they came from or the, or the location that they came from and become a fucking expert on that subject wow and unlike D D, where you can do that in D D, you can become an expert on the sword coast in the city of Waterdeep or something but you know so what in real life you can learn something about an actual city in an actual place or an actual time and yeah. now you're an expert on that thing and it's actually relevant because it's in the real world yeah you know and it's so much more useful a, a tool because it broadens your horizons one of the like Chicago by Night has a whole section in there about unions and politics. And when I started reading this stuff, I was 18. I'm 46, almost 47. I was about 18 when I started on it. And I didn't know the first thing about unions and a lot of the politics that were going on there and a lot of the history and stuff of Chicago. And I learned so much, you know. The books themselves are full of famous quotes from philosophers and bands and and stuff like that you know uh Nikio Machiavelli comes up you know every sort of fifth page there's a quote from him um and so you get exposed to all these names of philosophers and and politic politicians and famous people and ideas that relate to the setting on a kind of meta level that make you think yeah and teach you to think critically because it's a very cynical game um, it's paranoid and cynical and it teaches you not necessarily to be paranoid and cynical, but to, right. to, to, to critically think about stuff. Um, and I think that's kind of the point of the game 
in many ways, especially if you're a young person and you haven't already learned these skills, if you've just sort of been brought up in a very ho-hum kind of world where everything's good all the time and bad people do bad things and good people, nice things happen to them. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit more cynical than that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's something to be learned from that. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Um, oh, and there's a live action version of the game too. Um, in fact, the very first version of the game I played was a LARP. Um, and that's interesting because you have like hand signals and things for, for the different disciplines and things. So if you walk around like this, you're basically invisible. You're obfuscating. Oh, okay. Um, and if you do this, when you say something, you're commanding somebody. That's the uh, command the wearied mind uh, power. Okay. Um, so there's hand signals for all the disciplines. That's and cool. you use paper, rock, scissors to resolve conflicts. Um, you weave, you, you have every, every power that you have has a verb uh, or an adjective uh, connected to it. So when you use a skill, you are bidding with your, these words, this list of words that you have and you lose them, they're attributes. And so you're bidding, you can either keep them or lose them. And so that's how you spend your powers mm -hmm. in the live game. It's a little bit complicated, but once you understand how it works, you realize that you can play a whole game without ever breaking character. Yeah. You that's... never have to leave character to do it. And yeah. that's, that's the objective is to stay in character. Yeah. Um, unlike D&D, where we're like, roll for initiative, everybody immediately breaks character, starts yeah. chatting, starts talking about tactics and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas in this game, you can have a whole combat without ever leaving character at all. I um, love that. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, in the live game, when I played it, the first live game I played, which was the first vampire game I played, there were 80 people dressed up as vampires at Auckland University um, gathering in different rooms. And you could walk around between the different rooms and, and, and meet different vampires and different characters and get involved in different storylines um, all going on at once. And it was amazing. It was like, it was amazing. I, I can't really uh, yeah. articulate. No, I, I would love to experience something like that where there's 70 people all <laughs> role playing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So. Um, I have a million questions still. Um, however, no, no, no. <laughs> because then we'll, we'll, we'll be running really long. Um, so I'm going to try to see if I can pick and choose just like a few okay, questions yeah. we've talked about settings um uh i i'm assuming there's a version of like the D, D classes or how does that work like if someone wants to be like a vampire rogue or a vampire cleric like is there that kind of a thing or right. okay well we don't have classes first of all okay. um and there's no levels either what you what you do is um let's go back to our character sheet in fact you know what i can pull up a character sheet from the book on the PDF, um, should be one right at the back of here. I'm not wrong. How do I get to the end of the book? Because I'm also curious. Um, basically, all my questions are about character creation because I'm trying to figure out, like, right. yeah, how do you pick, like, what's your job or how you know right. how you play your character? Okay. And then, like, well, the age limit. Like, do you choose what generation vampire you are? And then you now you have to think of a backstory that leads into like hundreds of years and, yeah, right, all of that. Okay, so <laughs> most vampires in the game are going to be young young vampires. The the game itself, the the masquerade game, the simplest form of it is set in the modern world, and you are a modern vampire, and you're probably less than fifty years old. 
Um, okay. In, in fact, I have run games. I, I prefer to run games where the players start as humans, um, and you don't even know about vampires. So, and what what I ask players to do is to make a character that is a human character that does not have some kind of military background or law enforcement background, it's pro like a housewife or a dentist or or a, uh, a McDonald's manager with ulcers, mm -hmm. right? These are the kinds of characters that are interesting in Vampire. Mm -hmm. um, you can play ex-cops and mercenaries and fucking ninjas and that's all fun and games but let, let me tell you <laughs> i'm that. gonna be a modern day ninja <laughs> right i mean whatever but at, at the end of the day that stuff gets old fast we've all seen it it's all been done before yeah there's nothing new in there and you're not going to learn anything about yourself from doing it that is a power trip and that's fun you know having yeah. a power trip is fun but at the end of the day you've got to know that it's a power trip and that you're just getting off on a power trip yeah um and ultimately, that's what D&D &D is uh, most of the time. So there's no classes. You choose your character's backstory. You choose that yourself. Um, the things that make up your character in its most basic sense are your clan. Mm -hmm. So that's going to tell you which powers that you have and who your primary allies and primary enemies are, are going to be, basically. I mean, And to be fair, you don't have to really stick to that. There are ways and means to alter things. Um, you're going to choose your generation, or more specifically, you're going to purchase a generation by using the points that you have to spend on your character. Mm -hmm. right? So you have points that you spend to choose where you're going to put them on your character sheet so that you have better or worse skills at different things, and everybody comes out relatively equal at the end of the day. Um, your nature and demeanor seriously affect your character in terms of how you're going to play them. Uh, you can choose your sire, but it's good if you negotiate that with your DM or storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, but those are the main things. And you're going to come up with a concept. So, I mean, a concept for a character might be, I want to play a Toreador, that's a clan, the clan of artists, who is a high generation, not very powerful um, vampire who is a tattoo artist. Um, and I come from New York. Okay. Right. That's a character concept. You can go with that. That's a starting point. Um, okay. From there, you can develop everything else. So that's that because now you've got those basic things chosen. Everything else can be funneled into those core ideas. Um, so looking at the character sheet, I don't know if you can see this very well, but. Oh, are you um, sharing? Yeah, I'm oh, sharing. Hold on I'm sharing second. a PDF at the moment. Um, this is probably the easiest way to explain. About it actually is you only have to look at this character sheet and it's pretty self-evident um there's no rolling dice for your character you don't have to roll any dice at all you're just spending points and when you get experience points um they there is a system that's a little bit different to your character making part like when you make your character the points work one way but when you earn experience points and spend them it's a little bit slower to mm -hmm. upgrade things but you are essentially still just spending points to upgrade things. You don't have a class that suddenly you wake up and you've got three new spells and four new class traits <laughs> and blah, 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 right? It's, it, mm -hmm. And then it doesn't exponentially just get keep getting more powerful until you're a god. The only way to get that powerful in Vampire the Masquerade is you would have to diabolize a vampire who's more powerful than you mm -hmm. and then do it two or three or four or five more times, mm -hmm. which 
would be epic and extremely difficult to achieve and very, very frowned upon. Um, because killing other vampires is also something very frowned upon. It's amongst the six traditions, um, the, the tradition of destruction. Um, so, yeah, those are the basic things. If you, if you can see the character sheet, um, mm -hmm. you'll see we have like strength, dexterity, stamina, and the physical. Then we have social, then we have mental. And you have, you have to prioritize, is your character going to be primarily, secondarily, and tertiarily? those three things in what order do you want them to be prioritized mm -hmm. um and then you do the same thing with your talents and your skills and your knowledge you have to choose which which of your which of those is your priority is it knowledges skills or talents that you're going to prioritize because at the bottom of the sheet you can see there's this list that says attribute seven slash five slash three so you get to spend seven dots on one of those columns five dots on another and three on the third mm -hmm. and they start with one dot filled in already um, and then under abilities, you have 13, 9, and 5. So you've got to choose 13 talents or skills or knowledges and then 9 and then 5 for one of the other two columns as you go through. Um, disciplines uh, are one for one, but you're starting with three dots. So you could have three dots in one discipline or one dot in three disciplines or break that down however you want. Um, backgrounds is where you purchase your generation. Um, Virtues, uh, conscience, conviction, uh, self-control and instinct, courage. I think conviction and instinct are terms from paths because you can leave the path of humanity and take up another path. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, and then that fact, that's an interesting thing. We have, we've talked about clans, but what we haven't talked about is sects. So there is the biggest sect of vampires in the world is called the Camarilla sometimes called the Camarilla, depending on who you ask, but properly pronounced Camarilla. Um, these vampires represent the hierarchy, the status quo, all that they're the most normalized vampires. They are in control of most of the world. They hold the six traditions to be of utmost importance, and the masquerade is their most important tradition, right? Um, the Camarilla, and they have princes running cities and so forth, and they teach vampires that humanity is important because if you lose your humanity, you'll become a beast and you'll break the masquerade, and that will endanger vampires because the humans will rise up against us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the Camarilla, and they're huge. They, they, they consist of five clans, five or seven. I always get confused. Anyway, then there is the Sabbat, um, or the Sabbat, or however you want to pronounce that, S-A-B-B-A-T, mm -hmm. not to be confused with Black Sabbath, um, <laughs> or, or the Sabbath, would or be the Sabbath. Black Sabbath. Sabbath. <laughs> yes, yes. I call them the Sabbat. That's just what I call them. If you mm -hmm. don't like it, that's your problem. I don't care. All right. Um, so oh, sorry. didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. So the thing with the Sabbat, which makes them very different to the Camarilla, is they believe that because they are vampires, they are evil. And they should be evil. And they should not pretend to not be evil. Mm -hmm. They should explore who they are and what they are and embrace the brutal, the mindless brutality of being evil, um, essentially. Then, you know, I talked about evil a couple of games ago. Uh, and, you know, I don't really believe in those categories, but you right. get the gist of what they're saying. Right. Um, they, 
trying to embrace who they are and be who they are and explore their potential um, for what they what they have. And if they had their way, they would, in my opinion, probably turn the world into a fucking Nazi death camp and have everybody in locked up in cages and bring people out to feed on them when they wanted to and they'd just control the world in this rather uncivilized and un, uh, not very subtle, shall we say, kind of means. Um, so the Sabbat are the main enemies in the game, mm -hmm. in, in, at least in my game. Um, and they have a couple of clans of their own, um, one of which is the Zemitsi, which are a clan of shape flesh crafters. They twist people and creatures into, into creations. Um, they will merge. Uh, we had a scene in one game where Barry came home um, to his apartment and the elevator came up and the door opened and all of his ghouls had been merged into one twisted creature called a Vozd. Um, and behind it was blood all over the walls and they were going, we love you, Mr. Smith. And he put them down with a flamethrower. But wow. um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty epic and nasty and terrifying, but um, that was fun. So yeah, the Sabbat, they pretty much are the bad guys most of the time. There's a couple of other sects that may or may not come up, um, such as the Nkonu, who believe that they're, they're an ancient group of vampires who believe that they can achieve a state called Golconda. Golconda is vampire enlightenment. Um, a mythic state that may or may not exist in any given vampire game. Um, Golconda is a state where a vampire balances their humanity and the beast and potentially could rumored to be able to achieve mortality again um, and become immortal once more and walk the earth in the sunlight and wow. die a natural death. Um, nobody's ever seen it happen. Nobody believes this shit. It's just a story. But is it? Are you, um, I just want to make sure, are, do you still want this uh, up on the screen or? Oh, right. Um, well, I mean, it depends if we have any questions about it. We don't have to have it up. Honestly, it's... I could still keep going with questions, but I know we're going to be running late and I I, uh, I, right. I want to spare our folks. Maybe we will uh, add some, some more content like this uh, in a future show. Sure. Yeah. No worries. Hopefully that gives you a brief overview of Vampire the Masquerade. Okay, sorry. I can't not ask this question because I just... So there's humans in the game and uh -huh. there's... Okay, I'm just going to show my face here. <laughs> so there's humans in the game and there's vampires. Are there human-vampire relations? Are there half-vampires, half-humans? I just need to know. <laughs> okay. Right. So I guess the closest thing to a half-vampire-human would be a ghoul. Okay. That's... Pretty much, you feed a you feed a human your blood, it turns them into a ghoul. Um, it makes them strong and it makes them live forever as long as you keep feeding them, right? Right. And if you feed them more than three times, then their blood bonds to you and they're in love with you. Right. So oh, they're in love. I did. I thought they couldn't act against you. I didn't know that they were like in love with you. Oh no, they they can't act against you, but it also breeds a sense of love. Okay. Um, now, if you're conscious of it, you may resent that. Yeah. Yeah. But if okay. you're not conscious of it, you just love them, right? Yeah. So it's easy. Then you get situations where vampires blood bond themselves willingly to one another so that their true love can never be defeated. Oh, wow. That's right. How kind romantic of, is that? Is it? I don't know. Or, or is it sick? I don't know. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, mm. <laughs> it could go one way or the other very easily. It's very codependent. Yeah. Um, 
right? Yeah. But they're stuck with each other. Um, and there's an example of a couple like that in Chicago who actually are bloodbound to one another, but they absolutely hate each other and can't even be in the same room at the same time. Wow. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, this is an adults only role playing game. There is a lot of graphic violence and potentially sexual content or relationship content or emotional content, trauma. Um, yeah. You know, you, it's. I, I will say this: you do need to talk to and talk to and know your players before you run it or play in it, because you need to know what you're getting into. Um, every group's going to run it differently. I run paid games for Vampire the Masquerade, and honestly, they are a little bit more watered down than the games I would run for my friends, um, because I don't know the players as well. I've learned to know them more. And also we stream them as well, which adds another layer of complexity to that. Right. Um, whereas if you're playing at home with two or three people that you really know and have known for a long time and you're playing in the dark with music and candlelight, um, you can go a lot further yeah. than you can lit up like a Christmas tree on Zoom. Um, <laughs> you know, somebody's cast fairy fire on you. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, make sure you guys have open communication about what the, the lines are for the game, right? Yeah. It, it, I mean, D&D, &D, there's a lot of talk about the checklist for, you know. Safety uh, tools. Safety tools yeah. and so on. D&D &D is like, okay, really? You, you're worried that someone's going to get upset because a goblin got clobbered with a mace? Okay. Um, how about you have to go and infiltrate a bunch of sabbat who are using children to do stuff horrific making things yeah horrific things right and yeah you know and you have to become one of them in order to infiltrate them yeah so it's that can be difficult people you know the worst the worst of the worst stuff can possibly happen it's not um, um unlikely yeah um wow. so yeah um that's pretty much that that's amazing okay Folks, I know we are running a little long, but this because this is just a very fascinating topic to me. Um, but and, and as I mentioned, I have a ton of questions that I've held back on. So if you guys have any questions for Russell uh, that we didn't get to and you want to know more about Vampire the Masquerade, put them in the chat. You can always find us on Discord. Russell, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Rollstream.com. Rollstream dot com or yes. you can email me at rkdm at rollstream.com um and i will send you all my links yeah um, we do have our own discord we have a twitch channel we have a youtube channel um i am a dungeon master for quest book so you can find my storytellers page there if you want to hire me to be a dm for either DD &D or vampire the masquerade you've kind of heard about how i run things so uh you may or may not like that if you don't like it well Find somebody else, goddammit. But if you do like that, <laughs> or if you just want to try it, um, you can have a go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or ask me questions and I can give you more answers. Yes. I just want to make sure everybody knows, like, I, I was here to learn. I don't know if there were people here that, like, they already know all of this stuff. But just in case, you know, I want to make sure people can get their questions answered. So. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I have my weekly world building, which is... I, you know, the last few weeks I haven't really done a whole lot because we've just we've talked a lot and I don't want to run things too long. But what I do have, because I love world building, that's what my YouTube channel is all about. You can find me at Purdy Nerdy. Um, I 
basically wrote down a list of things that you should consider when you're world building. And you tell me, because this is vampire, right? right. I'm, I'm just thinking of vampires in general. But if right. you're going to be world building uh, vampire lore, uh, you right. want to consider... Like you said, uh, you there's already stuff there for like what's the first vampire, but right. I guess uh, do they homebrew for vampire? Do you homebrew stuff? Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I mean, and it depends. It's it's really up to you. There's, there there is now a lot of content, a lot of official content that you can use. Okay. And I I I used to have a block of books this long on my bookshelf, you know, a foot fucking long, or maybe more than that. Um, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of vampire books. They were all with these sort of hardcover green covers and what have you, and some thinner ones with with paper covers as well. Um, and what am I trying to say? Yeah, you can homebrew it. I mean, I, I I created a whole sect of my own called the Order of the Temple of Mars, um, and they have their own bloodline, and they exist in order to survive Gehenna, and one of the main plot lines that I often use is inducting the players into the Order of Mars because then they can go undercover into the Sabbat or the Camarilla or any other sect and undercover but ultimately working for the Order of Mars, um, whereupon I can guarantee their loyalty and and group bonds. Okay. Um, like It's like, you know, everyone's working for a secret organization, but they're playing cops. Right. Right. Or they're playing bad guys and then they can go from one to the other fairly seamlessly with the same characters but still working for the same organization for example um so i didn't know if that was something where like if somebody was world building for this that they could create another piece of lore for like how the first vampire was created or how vampires are made or anything like that right i mean you can you can literally do anything you want with it but I think this is the thing when you're playing with people who have played Vampire the Masquerade, there are some things they probably just won't accept. Right. Um, much the way that you can do anything with D&D, but people play D&D and they know what the game is about and they know how the rules work. And if you change it to the point where it starts becoming unrecognizable as that game, um, then you really probably have to pitch it to them before you dump it on them, you know? Yeah. You don't want okay. to just in the middle of the game go, oh, by the way, no, Kane doesn't exist. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Vampires came from outer space. They're aliens, you know, and you could yeah. do that. And that might upset them. So, you know, and that's one of the things that's great about the game is it keeps a lot of that stuff pretty vague. Yeah. So whilst there is a story in the game that vampires come from Kane, nobody's met him. Mm-hmm. Nobody's seen him. Nobody's even seen a third generation vampire. Very few people have seen fourth generation vampires. Very, very few people. And then fifth, sixth generation vampires, also very unlikely to meet one or see one. They may exist. People know about them, but nobody knows one. Um, most likely, you know, your prince of your city might be eighth or ninth or tenth generation. So you're not likely to meet vampires lower than eighth generation very often. There's a couple of them in Chicago um, who are as far down as sixth generation, but so what's the starting generation then? Is it like twelfth or something? Is that like when you start? No, you, playing? you purchase it using oh, your right. okay. background points at the beginning of character right. creation. You okay. purchase, but that being said, the if you spend all your background points just on generation, uh, you can be eighth generation maximum. That's as good as it gets. Okay. In, 
that edition of the game. Okay. Um, there was a supplement called Elysium, which allowed you to purchase higher or better generations, lower generations, um, which was cool. But that was really an advanced kind of book for players who had played the game. It's hard to play an elder if you don't know how to play a, an anarch. Right. If you haven't played a kind of a baby vampire, you'll have no idea how to play an elder unless you're playing an elder that has not ever been exposed to anything ever. Which there is a thing weird. called torpor in the game. Torpor is when you sleep for mm. like decades or even centuries. So there is the possibility that you could make a character that was born and created and turned into a vampire a thousand years ago. Okay. And then they've slept for 950 years and yeah. just woken up in, in today, um, which is kind of a cool premise because then you don't know what the fuck is going on. Right. And <laughs> role playing that could actually be fun. All right. So, well, so then, yeah. okay. I, you know, th that makes a lot of sense because it sounds like, you can world build or homebrew some things and probably sounds like more of it's uh, uh, the, the sects or the, what's the other thing you called it? The bloodlines clans, and stuff like the clans. Yeah. Um, and maybe some of the older lore, maybe, you know, I guess you could, but you want to be careful about okay. that. So then I, well, I was going to say, I had a question. I had a question and it's, it's in my head. It's in my head, but I got sidetracked. Shoot. It's I gone. would recommend learning as much of the lore as you can and then like it's it's it's, oh, it's an old case of okay. learn the rules before you break them basically is what I would suggest learn what there is and then right. know why it is that you're changing it don't just change it because you can't be fucked reading the law right that's that's lazy and it's going to come off poorly and nobody's going to like that um it's same with D and D. If you're going to change the rules in D and D, you don't just change them. You have to know why you're changing them. There's got to be a reason, right? You know. Um, and similarly for law, you can fuck with the law of Dragonlance and say, okay, there's going to be orcs in Dragonlance because you know traditionally there's no orcs in Dragonlance. But mm -hmm. then you've got to come up with a story why. Yeah. You know, and is is it worth it? Is there really a reason for that? Just because Joe the player wants to play an orc? Yeah. Hmm, yeah, maybe that's valid. Okay, so I anyway, have my, yeah. my, my question that I finally remembered, which I think is a good way to end this, is, um, mm. you know, there's D&D &D Beyond for D&D. &D. Are there tools for Vampire, anything like mm. that? Well, 20 has a, a first, second, I, th I think they've got, like, most of the editions of character sheets. Roll 20? Yeah, on Roll okay. 20. It's what I use for playing online. Okay. You can create your character sheet there and you can run encounters and use maps and stuff and roll dice and does all of that stuff. Um, it has fifth edition as well. So you can play most different vampire games on Roll20. Awesome. Or you can use your phone even to do it. Um, but there's no D&D &D Beyond. It's not as good as that. Right. Um, yeah, it's a little bit more old school. Um, foundry will work, as Brightman says. Okay. Yeah, probably Foundry. Yeah, I haven't spent a lot of time on Foundry. I would like to, but it's you know expensive. Okay. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, That's... cool. I think this was this was great. Like we could have done a whole nother hour probably on this because I just have oh, so many easy. questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we could what, what we could do sometimes is make a character. Yes. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So it's. 
time, folks. I think we have, I really appreciate that we've had as many viewers as we had on here tonight. I think this is yeah. a very good topic. And like I said, I'm here to learn. Hopefully you guys all learned something. Um, if you guys like what we discuss and want to help us out, uh, it would be great if you could like, share, and subscribe wherever you're finding us. We're live on Facebook, but this gets posted to YouTube uh, once we get everything all situated. And uh, the podcast is posted on all the other podcasting platforms, Amazon, Apple, Spotify. Uh, yeah, and then we're on Discord. And, and if anyone missed it earlier, we are looking for writers to join our author pool. Author pool, I can say that. Um, so if you want to get all those details, you can find them on our Facebook page. You can come to our Discord, which the link is in the chat. And uh, yeah, come join our team. Come join our community. We would greatly appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Thank you. So thank you. That was a great topic tonight. So no I'm going to go ahead and sign off here tonight and say that these days can be fun days when you talk nerdy with friends. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Right. Have a good night, folks.